0: right hope everybody is well All right june 2nd welcome to the uh onyx report i'm your host uh, dr t hassan johnson associate professor africana studies at fresno state and lead scholar at the institute for black male studies so i hope everybody is good and bit of a crazy week so trying to get everything going and of course one of my uh you know main my one of my primary uh, software programs decided to do uh an uh upgrade check at five minutes before the show started so everything went haywire had to reboot everything so kind of rushing a little bit my apologies to the audience nevertheless um hope everybody is good uh so we are just kind of getting going. Shout out to BGS for sharing the show on YouTube. Uh, we are broadcasting, um, on interlight on YouTube, as well as Facebook. Um, so shout out to everybody coming in. Um, I see Abdullah. Abdullah is the first one in here. What's up, Malaika? Uh, brotherly love. Um, looks like you're out in Philly. What's going on? Ron Matthews. What's the word? So we got people coming in. Uh, I will let that happen while we make sure we are covered everywhere else, so let me get some of the main things up here. get this going all right, so y'all know what it is today. We will be dealing with uh slavery as misandric aggression. I will be getting to that soon um So bear with me as we kind of get things going here. All right. So as I usually tell you, right, welcome to the Onyx Report, where black male justice advocates such as myself uplift black men and boys using critical analysis. That is what we're here for. What's up, Queen Kalila? Uh, I'm listening is in here. Marlo, what's going on? Yoga, Rock One, what's happening? Uh, Good to see people coming in. Please make sure that uh you are supporting the channel like share subscribe um and donate if you would and you can become a member of the channel in a number of different ways on youtube if you go to my youtube page you go ahead and look for dr t Hassan johnson uh subscribe there right under the video you'll see next time <laughs>
1: appreciate
0: it uh, i'm just gonna say boom appreciate the support um but yeah, you can go ahead. What's up? Uh, uh, it's me, uh, You can go right under the video and please subscribe if you haven't already. Please make sure you hit the, uh, the the button so you can get alerted to anything we're doing. Make sure you join. And there are, of course, a number of different forms of, of membership levels of it, if you will. And you can choose from any of those that have listed perks. You can also go to my Patreon, which is listed right here on the page. Uh, Patreon dot com slash TH Johnson. You can become a member there. You can support not only the Onyx report, you can also support the Institute for Black Male Studies there. So you can go ahead and do that. Um, or you can send, uh, you know, cash apps, PayPal's, Venmo's right here during the show. And they will, uh, you know, especially if you're doing a, uh, a donation straight through YouTube with the Super Chat, uh, will show up on the screen. So uh, appreciate your assistance in advance. Uh, let's see here. There we go. All right. So we're getting there. We're getting there. Anyway, I'm going to get into some public service announcements. I've uh, got a couple of them before we delve into the topic, but um, let me just jump in where we will here. Uh, get my email going. We are going to ha- have office hours tonight uh, after the show. So for my members, office hours basically means that there's a private link that you can come to where we'll be having a more intimate discussion continuing on from the show. Uh, And if you are a member, you can either communicate on the chat or come up on the screen if you're at the diamond level and we can dialogue uh, in more depth. So that is a feature available to members. And it generally starts about five minutes after whenever the show ends. And I will post that link uh, both on Patreon as well as on the community tab here on YouTube for members so consider that when you're if you decide to become a member of the channel as well as what level of membership you want to look to gold level uh you can communicate in the chat diamond level you can come up on the screen right so anyway let's jump into some of these it's it's been if you've been on my facebook page there's a lot of heavy material i've been dropping and some of that i will be uh shifting into our daily videos so I'm getting back into the groove of those. I just finished, uh, you know, uh, reading over 500 pages of material I had to grade for students. So I kind of, you know, I kind of crashed after the semester. <laughs> At least that's what that's how it's been put to me. That someone said you 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 were burned out on the semester and you crashed. And I can't say they were wrong. I might have slept for a good week and a half right after that. So anyway, uh, I'm trying to get back into the groove, as it were. But this is a piece that I do have up on my Facebook page. And if you're not familiar, um, so two young boys, and this is a post that was put up on the social media by the mother, or presumably, uh, I think it might've been even a step
2: Appreciate
0: that support, smooth, thank you. Uh, Nevertheless, these two boys were apparently on their tablet late at night, one night watching porn. And the uh, mother found out And she woke up her fiance. The implication there is that I don't think he's the boy's father, um, because I think she would have said as much. But nevertheless, she woke up her fiance late one night and demanded that he cut into both their hair genitalia. Images of both male and female genitalia, you know, male on one boy's head, female on the other. And to those of you watching the video, if you're wondering why I'm, I'm explaining all this, it's because uh, I have a. You know, we also have a listenership over radio. So that's why there's a little more explanation. Nevertheless, um, you know, an image of the penis on one boy's head and an image of a vagina uh, replete with a clit on the other. And this is discipline. That's what this is supposed to be. Discipline. For these boys who are sexually curious. Um, in my time period, we didn't have tablets, we didn't have internet, we had magazines. And usually, you know, it, just from my experience and some of the guys I knew, getting a hold of a magazine was pretty difficult. You either got it through your 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 father, your mom's boyfriend or whatever, or you found it on the street somewhere and you told your boys and then you know, you guys had a magazine. It wasn't easy to come across. Today, it's much easier. You can go to porn sites and you can look at material for free, which is half the reason I don't understand OnlyFans because I'm like, you know, y'all got free porn. I mean, when I was a kid, we was lucky to get pictures of naked women, let alone free access to video porn. So why people are spending hundreds of dollars, you know, whatever I don't get. But anyway, that aside, this is the way this mother decided to discipline her sons. Now, I would consider this on a particular level.
1: (laughs) Appreciate
0: that support. Boom again. Thank you. Um, I consider this emotional abuse. Right. And the assumption here is that they have to go to school like this on top of it all. Excuse me, which I find highly problematic, especially on the basis of this just being about sexual curiosity. They didn't assault anybody. They didn't hurt anybody. She just, you know, went in their room, saw them looking at this woke up her fiance had them had him cut this into his head and i got issues with the fact that he didn't push back on any of this you're really going to teach these young boys that they need to be punished and publicly embarrassed not only in their day-to-day interactions jeremiah appreciate that cash out uh but also online right because if you look at it one of the interesting things you'll find is that most people in the comment section are laughing
3: right they're laughing
0: As if that's somehow acceptable, but when it comes to black boys, you know, I find that punishments by and large, no matter how extreme, no matter how embarrassing, emasculating, debilitating they are, they're considered acceptable. The underlying trope being that these boys are difficult. They need to be managed by a tough, strong hand. And what that hand looks like tends to be different. Um, At one point, it was just a matter of getting a spanking, maybe even a switch taken to you if you came out of the South or your family came out of the South, which was the majority of African-Americans. But now we're at a point where we're talking about public embarrassment. and One of the things we've seen over the last decade or more is, you know, boys being having their hair cut in humiliating styles. One of the most popular has been the kind of George Jefferson, right, where they get this big dome cut out where they look like, you know, uh, 60 year old men. And that's supposed to be some type of public shaming for low grades, bad behavior. I saw one video for a boy who was caught at 12 smoking marijuana, which to me really speaks to an absence of a very particular type of fatherly male presence. Now, I have seen uh, fathers who have participated, use the noise, who participated in these kind of public embarrassments, but more often than not, I tend to see fathers deal with this a little more in direct fashion, right? Confronting uh, boys, disciplining them, but not publicly embarrassing them per se. Um, And, and, you know, so folks are here just pretty much laughing, right? And this is ridiculous. These boys don't need to be treated that way for what is a natural sexual curiosity. It's really all it is. But the question becomes for me, when you see this happening repeatedly, over years, what does this do to the mentality of a young boy who's being punished for being sexually curious? What does this do to his mind state? What does this do to his perception? What does this do to his interaction, especially via his mother, his interaction with women? Right? How does he perceive women like his mother? See, there was a time where You know, uh, girls sought out men that were reminiscent of their fathers and boys sought out women reminiscent of their mothers. Um, When your mother is emotionally abusive and you no longer not only do you not want to find someone like her, you actively avoid women like her. What does that do? What larger impact is there, especially when this type of parenting is applauded? Hmm? Anybody want to answer that question? What's up, artisan? See you in here. Okay. So this is going to end up being a problem. One of the captions I used for this, uh, and a couple of others that I found, was that this is not going to end well. And by end, I'm not talking about the end of this this situation at you know whatever night this is. I'm saying in general, it's not going to end well. I got a couple of uh, abusive videos that I'm going to post where you'll see this, but it's not it's not even just parents and children, right? We're also talking about intimate partner violence that really in some ways, kind of extends out of a very similar form of aggression. So I'll talk about that more explicitly over the last, over the next few days. You guys will see some of those videos. And of course, like I said, if you're already on my Facebook page, you might be familiar. But uh, I'm going to go more in depth about what I think on these things. Uh, But what I will say is this much. If you are a parent, avoid public humiliation as a form of discipline. Avoid it. Avoid shattering your boy's innocence, avoid shattering their uh, willingness and will to explore uh, and challenge boundaries. Those boundaries are not always a disrespect to you. Uh, much of the time, those boundaries are really about exploring life. Exploring what is out there, what what does it mean? I mean, and at this age, now I'm not quite sure what their age are, but they look pretty young. They look somewhere between five and seven, uh, maybe eight. And, I, and that's a perfectly normal time period for these boys to actually explore that. So um, I find it horrible that they're being laughed at and embarrassed. I don't find anything embarrassing about what they did. If anything, the only thing I see here that's embarrassing is the style of parenting where public humiliation seems to be the only way you can communicate to these boys that you don't want them to watch porn which is ridiculous what's up high scholar good to see you in here um yeah and as one of as as it's Misi says on here right uh parents are uncomfortable and don't know how to explain sex neither neither do they want to take the time to learn so the children suffer absolutely but it's all that much more important that i believe uh fathers should really be the ones to step in and have communication with their sons about sex I mean, my mother had those conversations with me work that were when I was little, but I was far more interested in what my father had to say. No disrespect to my mother had nothing to do with disrespect. Simply had to do with, I wanted to understand how men process sex. But if your father figure, cause I'm going to assume again, that the fiance she mentions is not the father. If he is forced to discipline you by publicly embarrass you and he participates and the mother in the equation is trying to publicly embarrass you for a natural impulse again i'm not not gonna like where this goes in general right i hear you artisan cps might be uh a needed uh entity nevertheless you know let's try and challenge these things as we see them challenge the parenting and challenge the culture that suggests that this is funny and should be laughed at it's ridiculous next up this is actually going to be you know it wasn't intentional, but there's almost kind of a two part Harry Lennox uh, kind of um, set of issues going on tonight. This is just a quick, quick shout out. Right, um, I actually saw my first prostate cancer commercial a few days ago, um, at least as far as a black male is concerned. This is actor Harry Lennox. If you're not familiar with him. He played recently in the Justice League films. Um, I think he was the military general and also, uh, spoiler, turned out to be uh, John Johns. I'll leave it at that title because if you don't know who John Johns is, I didn't spoil anything. But anyway, um, still acting, you know, very good actor at that. Um, Also enjoyed him in the movie I'm going to talk about in a moment. But he actually comes out and does a commercial for PCF.org, which has to do with prostate cancer. Um, So those of you that are curious about that, you can go to the Prostate Cancer Foundation website, PCF.org, get checked out. And one of the things he talks about in the commercial is that one out of nine are diagnosed uh, as far as men. And those numbers tend to be fairly high for black men. There are conflicting reports as to why Uh, some doctors even come out and say they don't know why. But at the end of the day, one of the things that tends to happen is black men get checked uh, a little too late, too often. So please, fellows, make sure that uh, especially if you're over a certain age uh, that you go uh, get checked out and make sure that this doesn't impact you. When I posted this online, I immediately had a young black woman come up and talk about how her husband died of uh, uh, prostate cancer, as well as um, what was the other type of cancer Uh, she wasn't talking about. But but others were reaching out to me in terms of testicular cancer cancer. Um, and there was, uh, what was the other type? Um, oh my goodness. Oh man. The last one is escaping me right now. All right. So it'll come to me later, more than likely. Nevertheless, uh, just fellas, please make sure you get checked out and shout out to Harry Lennox uh, for doing this, but I found it interesting that they're finally speaking to black men. I don't know why it took so long. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, if nobody points it out, we need to point it out to each other. This is about survival. Really? That's, that's really what this is about. As far as I'm concerned. Uh, making sure we survive. So just a quick shout out for that. Please make sure you are on top of that. Oh, the other one was colon cancer. That was it. So colon cancer, testicular cancer and uh, prostate cancer. Just be aware, fellas. All right. Now, this will be brief. I'm not going to do a a serious deep dive. Maybe I don't know. Uh, It may be a part partial one. But anyway, I um, watched this the other night. I hadn't seen it in years. Uh, this is Love and Basketball, right? With Sanaa Lathan, Omar Epps. And uh, I remember when this came out, I was actually a fan. You know, I was really, uh, I, I enjoyed it. You know, I always liked seeing beautiful black folk on screen. That's one of those things my generation is uh, a little susceptible to. Um, and thank you, Malika. Yeah. Um, Harry Lennox was dresser in five heartbeats. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Shannon says her father has prostate cancer. The prognosis is good if caught early. Thank you, Shannon. And, and shout out to your father. Uh, and those of us out there, if you haven't gotten checked, please do so. Because if you have to have it, if it's checked early, all the better. All right. Anyway, so I was watching Love and Basketball. And for those who aren't familiar, um, and if you're, you know, I don't know how you wouldn't be, but anyway, uh, this was a film came out some years ago um let's see 1990s and uh love story about a young couple that actually starts in childhood right uh this came out in oh, actually 2000 okay so 2000 um anyway so these two young lovers are basketball lovers right and they end up living next door to each other uh right around age 10 or 11 somewhere in there where the story starts and From there, the whole film is about them becoming adults and going into their, um, you know, their kind of relationship with one another and all the twists and turns it goes through as they go through life. Anyway, I saw it again the other night for the first time in quite a while. And it was just some observations that I thought were interesting. Uh, And I focus obviously on uh, three main men in the film. That were all presented as a problem on one level or another. Right. First one you have is yet again Harry Lennox. What's up, officer? Good to see you in here. Um, Harry Lennox plays Sonal Lathan's father, right? In this particular piece. Uh, like I said, it was gonna be a two-part Harry Lennox uh film tonight. Uh I don't know why it just happened that way. Um, but uh anyway. Trying to bring this up usually have it up on screen but I mean at least uh, some of the information I like to use I don't always remember the characters names which might be useful in a situation like this anyway here we go alright now we're back in there All right so Sanaa plays Monica Wright Omar plays Quincy McCall right and so anyway uh, the father here plays Monica's uh, you know or Harry Lynx plays the father and the the dynamic that's kind of struck here is that he is married to Alfrey Woodard's character, who you can see right there. uh a number of films that she's done that I've enjoyed. So um, it was interesting to see her in here. Um, wow. They don't even... Okay, there she is. She's Camille Wright. She plays his wife. And the tension between the daughter, played by Sanaa Lathan, and her mother is that... Uh, Sanaa so is kind of a young basketball athlete, um, and they don't use the term feminist, but there are clearly feminist impulses in this. Um, there's a tension between the two. Right. So there's they didn't quite draw it down the line where the women were all kind of perfect and the men were all problems. You know, there's some tensions between mother and daughter about what womanhood is, what acceptable womanhood is and femininity. The father in this one, however, is the part I'm going to focus on. Now, he's actually considered or he's presented uh, to be a fairly good father. He doesn't have an affair that we know of. He doesn't beat his wife or the children that we know of. You don't get that impression at all. He's a pretty stand up dude from the way they present him. And he works at a bank. right? And they live in this nice suburb right next to a black family where the father is an NBA player. And the wife is a, pretty much a dime piece that marries him. But anyway, Harry Lennox in this particular image, plays the father, a successful banker, and at the beginning of the film, they're just moving into this suburb, so he's doing well. The mother talks about this later in the film, how she gave up her desire to start her own catering business in order to raise a family. Right, Something you don't really see talked about in contemporary media, right? But the tensions between her and her daughter, played by Sanaa, are pretty extreme, and they go into adulthood where uh, Monica, is upset that her mother didn't stand up for herself, didn't uh, make her presence more well known. And the example she chooses to use is when her father comes home with a couple of pizzas, despite that she's been cooking all day, and the mother just, you know, kind of backs off. And everybody has pizza for dinner. This was her example, alongside the fact that the mother is not really into basketball and doesn't understand her daughter's obsession with it, but. The point being, she's upset that her mother didn't make her presence more felt and felt like she, she catered to her man too much. Now this is the brother, who what looks to be in the mid to late 1980s moves his family into a suburb as a black banker and is is, is highly participatory in the family as a matter of fact. Um, they even show him you know, showing up to games, they show him talking to his daughter about basketball, they're trying to get her recruited uh, into college and so they're having in-depth conversations you can see him in this image there with a video camera in hand very active participant father at least in terms of the few short scenes we had a chance to watch and i found it interesting how this they kind of subtly presented him to be this patriarchal domineering figure right bank successful banker raising a family in the suburbs housewife who sacrifices as they put it her life to raise a family And they did present it as a choice that she made that she was unapologetic about. But her daughter resents her for not being more outspoken. Now, I'm not really going to delve into the mother-daughter dynamic, right? But I am interested in the subtle way that even though you don't see any scenes of him being a problem, he's dismissed in a very particular kind of way with this kind of subtle undertone of being this kind of oppressive or oblivious Uh, and problematic patriarch, even though every indication we've actually seen of him, and you only see him for a couple of scenes throughout the entire movie, have actually been positive and participatory. The one scene where they try to give you the impression that he's a problem is the day before it seems like he's about to start his new job at the bank, right? He comes in and he has two shirts and he's asking his wife to iron one And he can't pick which one to wear, so he asks her to iron both. He gives her a kiss, says thank you, walks out the room. And this is supposed to be a subtle nod that he's a problem. It's pretty safe to say that if you were a banker, hell, if you're a banker now, let alone in the early 80s or mid 80s, that you were doing pretty well. Six-figure range, of course. They're living at least in a two-story suburban house, and his wife is a housewife. And it is a crime for him to ask her to iron two shirts, even though he's actually put the family in this kind of dynamic. So I found that interesting. That was the first part. So, again, we're looking at three males in the film. This is the first one. So The first one is a problem because he wanted his wife to iron the two shirts. And then she even uh, the Monica or the the daughter even describes her mother as, um, you know, sacrificing her career interests just so. Her man can feel strong. Her man can feel um, good at night about being a man, a very dismissive kind of misandrous way of looking at her mother as a step stool that her father uh, rubs his dirty boots on or something of that nature. Even though she's being raised in a suburb and taken care of all her needs met safe, a whole kind of deal, the dismissal of black men. Even in films that we consider classics that we enjoyed coming up, or at least I did, uh, the subtle ones at that are harder to catch sometimes. But when you sit back and watch it again from a masculinist vantage point, you're like, wow, this is a problem. Even though we didn't know it was. Here's the next one. So there's the scene where she comes back as an older adult. All she knows how to do is play basketball. He gets his daughter at the, a job at his bank. And you can even see his picture on the wall, right? Right behind where he's sitting and helping his daughter get her first job. And this is the problematic patriarch, right? She turned down any jobs because of the abusive nature the father had. No, she turned down any of the advantages that he provided for her to be where she is. No. Yet and still, he's a problem. But again, Except for him asking for two shirts to be ironed, every scene you see him in, he's supportive as hell. He's sitting at basketball games with recording her on camera. He's having a conversation with her about having not been recruited yet. Maybe they need to have different collegiate strategies in terms of that. And then, of course, this is, I think, one this might be the next time you see him after that, where he's welcoming his daughter into the new job at a bank. Now, she has no qualification for this, so it's safe to assume he got her the job was there any respect extended to the father even verbally no he's just a problem right next up would be uh, right Now this is Monica's movie right for the most part but this is where we have Omar Epps's character Quincy this is the lifelong love interest right they meet as children he pushes her on the basketball court when he can find out find out she plays a little better than he does Um, To where it cuts her face, Uh, you know. Again, we can't we can't handle women that are good at things, so we got to beat them up. We got to make them draw blood because we're just men, you know, know, boys, male, we're male. So even as a young boy, you know, he 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 hurts her or whatever. Later, as they come into their teen years, uh, Quincy comes into his own, and again, his father is an NBA player, so he's being groomed much like Kobe, right? He's being groomed to go into the NBA, except that. His father wants him to get an education. We'll get to that in a moment. So Quincy is a problem because they end up going to USC together and they're both playing on, you know, the male and female teams. Of course, Quincy starts out doing really well. She has to struggle her way up because she was a last minute recruit. Um, And then, you know, Quincy begins to go through his own issues. And one of the major issues he goes through is he finds out that his NBA playing father has had an affair and lied about it. And it shattered his world that the man that he's looked up to and put on a pedestal lied to him and was fallible. So from that point in college, all the way to the end of the movie, he completely cuts off his father, right? He bonds with his mother. And of course, there's a period in college where he and Monica fall apart and he's very mean to her. And What happens? It's the night he's discovered his father's lied. He's having a conversation with his girlfriend, Monica, about it. And she, i to still the conversation because she has curfew and she won't start on the team if she misses curfew, right? And he just kind of says, okay, you know, and from there you can see there's an emotional wall that comes up that he explains later in the film as he gets a little older, that basically he didn't know who to trust after his father did what he did. His whole world was shattered. He didn't know who to trust. And when she wasn't there for him that particular night, He kind of cut her off. And eventually, uh, which was a short period of time later, he decides to drop out of school and go into the draft and go into the NBA and play pro. And they don't see each other for some years after that. They don't I don't really think they said how many, but not until later. As a matter of fact, the picture on the right is a young, uh, you know, uh, Quincy in school with her. The picture on the left is after they reunite years later. So the image we get of Quincy is that he's almost a kind of villain. And the reason he's kind of a villain is because he disregards her, not only her feelings, but her desire to achieve. Now, what do I mean, he's considered a monster because he expected her to sacrifice starting on the team by violating curfew and being there for him as he's talking about what this means. Cause mind you, his basketball career starts to suffer as well. His mind is shattered around what his father did. And she says at one point to him, I would never ask you to choose between basketball and me. And and what I did say, what I will give this film, um, there were certain scenes where the men explained themselves a little, more, a little better than I expected. And there's a point where she says that to Quincy and he looks her dead in the eye and said, you never have to meaning I would have been there for you, regardless of what the impact would have been for me, because I love you that much. And she admits later in the film that she couldn't quite separate her goals and, being in a relationship. So even though she's angry at him, even though he's, he's portrayed as a problem, she does admit later on that she understands that she really didn't know how to balance these things as a young woman. But Quincy is kind of positioned nonetheless as kind of this unfeeling villain because he doesn't prioritize her career interests in a moment of need. And he starts hanging out with another girl or whatever and breaks up with her as, as he goes pro. When they reconnect later, he's engaged. right He's engaged and and she basically wants to take him from uh the woman he's engaged to, which is a whole nother part of the story. But he's again presented as a, as a villain at that point, so to speak, because she decides that she wants to play basketball against him for his heart, as it were. meaning whoever wins, if she wins, he dumps his fiance and gets with her. if he wins. She stops pushing all together and lets him get married. Right. And in this basketball, the game, they have this one on one, which is the opposite in many respects of the game they play as a child, as children. where Quincy is really, you know, he's had a knee injury. But a short, aside from that, he's, he's you know, he, he plays far better than she does. Um, he beats her and relinquishes the game so that she could win. Yeah, Winston, I don't know. Uh, the Gigi's doing his thing. He knows what time I go. He's doing his thing. I can't call it. You know, I love the brother, but it is what it is. Anyway, um, so what I'm saying to you is in this instance, you have two moments where Quincy is presented as a kind of a villain for not prioritizing her feelings. Right. Even though his own motivations are made irrelevant. Right. The fact that he's getting engaged, irrelevant. You know, she wants what she wants. Uh, prior to that, the fact that his world is shattered behind his relationship with his father it's about her career so you have these kind of subtle moments and the last and most obvious villain male villain in the film is Quincy's father now this is probably the most traditional uh, bad black man you know figure and he's played by Dennis Hayesbert uh, excuse me uh, everybody knows who Dennis is we've seen him in commercials we've seen him on other films I like the brother as an actor uh, he plays Zeke McCall, NBA player who is transitioning the end of his career and trying to find some other place to work in the NBA, right? He doesn't, It's a, you know, he talks, he doesn't go into detail, but basically he doesn't have a quality education and he wants his son to have that. Now, the way they show him, he's a very hands-on father, right? Hands-on, supportive father. And Quincy, as you can even see in this image here, looks up to him. The the look on Quincy's face here is, is reflective of how the character feels about his father for the first third of the film. Nothing but respect because the man has prioritized his son. As a matter of fact, this scene that you're looking at, he's talking to a reporter right after his son has finished playing a high school game and is prepping for a reporter to make sure the reporter is there when his son announces what college he's going to. Very hands on father. Who loves his son. Now he and his wife, played by Debbie Morgan, aren't getting along well. Right? Because he's having affairs on the side. He's, you know, trying to, you know, parlay his NBA career into something else because he really doesn't have anything after basketball. He's not prepared for anything else. And he doesn't want to go back to school at his age, uh, which is something his wife wants to do. Right. So his wife hasn't followed. Turns out there's a paternity issue from one of the affairs he's having. Of course, the wife is angry and she divorces him. It is what it is. I don't have no problem with that. Quincy, of course, takes his mother's side of the thing. But the part that I was bothered by is for the rest of the film, even as an adult with a child of his own, Quincy completely cuts his father out of his life. <laughs> this, was ver- this was reminiscent of when I covered the film Fences, you know, where Denzel plays the main character, Troy, in Fences, right? His mistakes also lead to being completely cut out of the family. And so you kind of have this trope in some black films, particularly if they're dealing with black families, where fathers are always meeting some kind of tragic end emotionally. So, or in terms of their very existence, right? Not always, but in many situations, right? You know, cause then you have a whole other alternative narrative. If you look at something like James and good times <laughs> where the character just dies off screen. Right. But there's always a problem with black fathers, I think one of the problems we have is we have a difficult time imagining black fathers in a positive light or in a constructive light, even if being constructive is not necessarily positive. Now, obviously, you have the Bill Cosby and the Cosby show dynamic, right? And as soon as Bill himself, not Heathcliff Huxtable, but as soon as Bill became a problem, everybody wanted to eliminate Heathcliff, which I found interesting. Cliff was, you know, the the Cosby show was supposed to be eliminated, even though the character himself so we have a problem, with, I think, with Black fatherhood right? and some of the imagery that comes with that. And it actually might even tie into our subject later on tonight when we're starting to talk a little bit about Black men during slavery. There is a problem of imagery. There's a problem of narrative. And we do not know how to do Black men well. They are constantly making these dire mistakes that hurt everybody around them. But my problem is not the mistakes they make. My problem is twofold. On one level, no other characters make significant life errors the way black male characters do when we all make them. Right. So you see fathers cheating on their wives. Do We see films too many. Uh, how, many how many films do we see where the mothers are che- cheating on their husbands? Right. We don't see that, especially if it's just, you know, if, if, if the father's already done it, we pretty much can presume that all the other characters, especially the women, are pristine and perfect. And that is the case in Love and Basketball. Right? The mother really doesn't do anything wrong. Right? There's no problems anywhere else. The problem is strictly him. The other part uh, that I have a problem with is not only that the other characters tend to be perfect and the male make, males make these dire mistakes, but that they're completely and permanently excised from family and there's no forgiveness. Part of the reason that we're pushed to forgive in real life, if we have any degree of spiritual maturity, is that we all make mistakes. But when it comes to black fathers, particularly in film, there's no forgiveness. But in this instance, there wasn't even any forgiveness from his son. Now, one of the things that Zeke tells his son is, look, you know, when he's, he's having a conversation with his, son, with his son and he says, look, you know what? I lied. I apologize. I only lied to you because I didn't want to see the look on your face you have right now. He said, but I'm trying to he said what I want you to understand, because it was pretty inevitable that his son was going to go to the NBA. Right. He said, I want you to understand when you're playing pro ball, there's 100 women at each game. And long story short, room at a certain point, he says, after a while, it just becomes part of the game. He said, you know, your mother. You know, he implies that his mother, uh, his wife, I should say, or or Quincy's mother. She was one of those pretty girls that got pregnant. And Quincy was like, are you trying to say that mom trapped you? Which really, that's what he was saying. His mother trapped him. But but Zeke doesn't go down that line. What he says is, I'm trying to tell you I took care of my responsibilities as a man. Right? So that said, not saying the man is perfect. not saying he didn't do things that were upsetting. What I'm saying is, his lesson to his son was that I made a mistake. But I've taken care of you and my wife well in all of this time. From there, Quincy, you know, decides to basically slap his father in the face, not not physically. He does so by saying that he's going to drop out of school and go into the draft and go pro against his father's wishes, much of it really to piss his father off. Quincy's career in the NBA is lackluster. He eventually hurts himself. And he really doesn't have anything but basketball, just like his father. And on the night, his father comes to his his hospital room to talk about talk to him after he damages his ACL He rejects his father again. And at the end of that conversation, he says to him in tears, why couldn't you be the man you kept trying to make me into? And his father said, I'm sorry, son, I couldn't. But that is the burden of fathers. That's the burden of fathers. We try to provide our kids, but especially, and when I say especially, I don't mean more so than daughters, but I am saying in a particular way, it's it's easier to see our sons as an extension of who we are. And we're trying to give him what we didn't have in hopes that he will go further than what we have. See, The goal of the father is to make sure that your son supersedes you in every way, at least those ways that are constructive to him. Now, I would say for all his faults, Zeke was an excellent father that at the very least deserved to continue to have a relationship. Now, there's a difference between the relationship a boy has with his father and a grown man has with his father. And I think that this film could have showcased that a fallible father, a son who understands his father's foibles and yet accepts him as a man because he understands how easy it is to fall into those same foibles, especially as a young NBA player himself. Now he may have become the kind of person that would never do to his wife and his family, what his father did because of what happened either way. Lesson learned from his father, but his father was to him for most of his life something very special. And the film did not take an opportunity to revisit how a son and a father can reconnect. Now, I'm saying something here because this, you know, I've gone through something similar. It took years for even myself and my father to reconnect, and we did. We did. It took a long time. My parents divorced when I was five. I had all kinds of anger issues at a young age because of that. And a lot of it was misdirected at my father because I was only given bits and pieces of information about what was going on. It took years to reconcile what wasn't told. So that said, the, era, the, the, the notion of father son forgiveness is present in black families, but not necessarily in black film. And up until the first third of the film, this is probably one of the best father-son films I've seen. It's not really a father-son film. You only get glimpses, but the chemistry between them as such is powerful. You know, if this was a series and it was a little bit longer, it might even be akin to uh, Deep Space Nine. right? Benjamin Sisko and his son Jake. But it is that positive early on. And there's just, look, at the end of the day, all I'm trying to tell you is there's no redemption for black men in narrative, and media very few times do you see it it's a fairly rare thing what's good Gigi, see you in here there's no redemption for black men and that's the problem black men are the only ones making significant mistakes that hurt everybody in the family and they're not redeemed go watch this film You'll enjoy elements of it, and if you're around my age, there's some nostalgic moments that'll touch you, from the music, to the dances, to young love, to being in college, all of that. Thank you, Extended Clips. Appreciate the support. But At the end of the day, pay subtle attention to the treatment of the men, both fathers as well as Quincy himself. And look at how this particular film, positioned from a Black Woman's Vantage Point, treats black men. Interesting. So nonetheless, thank you for bearing with me, but I just had to get that out after watching it. So that was love and basketball. All right. Please make sure you support the Institute for Black Male Studies. You can go to www.instituteforblackmalestudies.com. You can take a class.
2: Appreciate
0: the support, Barry. You can take a class. You can take a webinar. There's a couple of them up there. There's also a wealth of free interviews that you can catch up on there. We got uh, everyone up there from Dr. Doctor Bra- uh, Brandon Gamble to uh, Kevin Samuels and uh, quite a few people. So, you know, you can check that out if you go ahead and, and check out the um, store page. You'll find those. If you go into merchandise, you can find everything here from sweaters to jackets to you know phone covers to baby clothes uh but check out the institute for black male studies support it uh you can also do that on my patreon page as well um and uh we'll go from there so appreciate that yes yeah, scott i did watch concrete cowboy um that was an interesting one as well yeah i might need to, to talk a little bit about that as well um so anyway um thank you malika appreciate that Let me let's delve into it and I'm going to start this by um, showing a video that a good colleague of mine was kind enough to post some years ago um, and I haven't found too much like it. Let me go ahead and share it. Uh, Now, it's only a few minutes long, so I think we could actually watch the bulk of it. Uh, It's only about four or five minutes. Um, I don't know. If there's any, you know, if there's any blowback from me playing fellow YouTubers' video, but let us find out. From BGS Edmore, Dr. Claude Anderson. <laughs>
1: Me take about three or four minutes just to laugh to myself because you just asked a critically important question and and the and your theme for today the fork in the road you know what the great irony there is Road is that that's exactly exactly and i can spell the word exactly axact exactly for you that's exactly where black folks were back over 200 some years ago because you see the fork in the road <laughs> That was the biggest dern depot for black slaves in the country off of the eastern shore. When, when Virginia, South Carolina, and North Carolina went into the slave-producing industry after the Constitution outlawed slave importing after 1808 into this country, they had to have, have another way to create babies or get slaves. So they started bringing in black women into the country then in mass numbers in most in, blacks in the feminist movement don't even understand that they think that slavery was about black women it was not about black women slavery was about man to man men to men it was about blacks against white men and black men and, and white men against black men that's what slavery is about 80 percent of all the slaves coming to the country were basically black men Until the constitution in 1789 says you got 25 years to cut out in no more bringing in slaves and it's in the and the three states that push to get that 25-year postponement from 1789 up to 1808 with South Carolina, North Carolina, and Virginia. They said, give us a chance to, to, to get situated because we need these black slaves. And why they need black slaves? Because they said, because the wealth, the wealth of these stations, of these states and the wealth of these colonies, and the wealth of this nation is in black slaves. That is the primary generator of wealth. Black slaves are a, force, a, a form of currency. It's like money. That's where he, that that that's who generated the wealth in the country. Mm-hmm. A black slave had was like a walking express card, a visa card. A white man who owned a slave did not have to work. He could earn money just by renting that slave out and going earning it. And so, South Carolina North Carolina and uh, Virginia, they started once they started raising, broadly started bringing in black women in here so they can impregnate them and started getting babies free. what you were paying about. $25 or $27 a piece getting them off the coast of Africa then try to sell them for eight, dollars 900 dollars at about a 1500% profit margin in the United States. They didn't have to do that in their They started using black women, impregnating them and raising free black slaves. But once they raised those slaves they then had to take them across the country and the biggest depot for receiving them was called a fork in the road. That was in New Orleans. New Orleans was a fork in the road. They, they made those blacks walk from virginia south Carolina, and north carolina all the way barefooted in chain all the way to the fork in the road in the new orleans area and it's sort of ironic that with the whole enslavement process and the marches across america to the fork in the road that the fork in the road has not changed why no older? black folk are still marching still going someplace still in chains mentally and still winding up producing wealth and income and enriching other people black folk have enriched Every religion, every ethnic group, every culture, they've enriched in every nation. They've enriched everybody on the earth for themselves. They are the primary deuce, uh, engineers of wealth. The wealth of this nation was built on the backs of black slaves and, and Indian land. And that, that, that is the primary generator of wealth in America. And our people have never, 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 never fully understood that. They've been misled and bamboozled and believing that somehow that the wealth part. in this nation is
0: who you get along with. Okay. Uh, let me go ahead and pull this down. All right. Uh, so I figured if I was going to play one of his videos, let me at least invite the good brother up. Uh, BGS, are you there, sir?
2: Can you hear me, sir?
0: Yes, yes. Thank you for coming up, man. Um, Now I had to play that one, and when you and I have talked about this one, that is probably for you know because I differentiate between the videos you do yourself and then the things you post from other people. This is in my top three. Um, This is this is definitely up there for me anyway. With the um, oh man, what's the brother's name? Um, I was telling you this before the show today. Um, uh, Man, what is his name? how do I forget his name? Darth Vader.
3: (laughs) What's what's his
0: name? I'm I'm blanking. Oh, man. Uh, James Earl Jones. Okay. uh, So this is up there with the James Earl Jones find. um, And there's probably another that's not coming to mind at this very moment. Um, But, you know, this was one of my top, you know, three. It's definitely in the top three, if not the top two. And the reason that it was is not so much for the end, but for the beginning. Um, Now, you figure from nineteen ninety two to two thousand eight I'm in higher education
3: uh
0: several degrees uh let me see I got you know a degree in Africana studies and undergrad and then of course the master's uh I got a degree in African American studies at temple University. you know at no point in that time period did anyone disaggregate the data as far as gender on slavery right? That was never something that was done. The narrative was always that um, we were we were taken as men and women right. Roughly right. to the same degree. And think about this, too. Think about every movie you've ever seen on North American slavery. Yes. Yeah. Almost always presented in equal numbers. Right. Yeah. yeah. 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, top of the board. And that was, you know, I walked out with a degree with that basic assumption it's nothing I ever thought thought about consciously. It was just what was presented. But here, I should say what was implied.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, if I had uh, professors that did know, they had never said anything. I'll put it that way. So I don't know if it was a matter of them hiding information or if they themselves were victim to the same kind of, um, you know, uh, presentation. But what I walked away with was this idea that we shared the same experience and to the same degree. And, um, you know, that was it. And the only difference, the only time we looked at gender, right? We looked at gender when we talked about black women. We talked about black women and girls. That was the only time we were allowed to really delve into gender as far as slavery was concerned. And the idea there was that, you know, the additional experience our women had was that they were raped. You know what I mean? That was the additional experience. So men We were subject to the lash. We were subject to harsh treatment. Uh, We were, you know, that was what we experienced. You know, the idea was women experienced the same thing, but on top of that, they also experienced being raped. And I would argue, rape isn't even the right word because, you know, when forced reproduction is part of the very economy, you're forced into. Right? rape, Rape implies that there's some type of police you can call because you've been violated. That was the law of the land, so to speak, but. Here's the thing, you know. If you look at Tommy Curry's work and The Man Not, there's a great deal there about the experiences of Black men. We know Black men were also sexually violated, Mm -hmm. Um, but the interesting twist is they were not only sexually sexually violated by white male slave owners um, and sexually humiliated, and and that was often put on display, right, to uh, to dominate Black men in the the mind of the public. Buck breaking, Mm -hmm. familiar title, sir. Familiar. I don't know where I've heard that recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, but <laughs> you know, it. yeah,
2: it's in the zeitgeist.
0: It's in the zeitgeist. It might might even be a film by Tariq uh, Nasheed um, that <laughs> your school <laughs> steps into. I don't know.
2: Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. a couple segments or two,
0: maybe a little bit.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: but you know, the other part to it, you know, that Curry really kind of introduces a lot of us to, is that white women were the aggressors of rape as well. It's just we're not used to using that term rape during slavery four black men at the hands of black women that's not a terminology we've seen put together mm-hmm. even though we know because they were able to use mob violence they were used to were able to use proxy mob violence right to secure sex from black men that this is a form of rape and so black men are the group that's raped by both white women and white men during slavery mm-hmm. so that's introduced to us mainly in the man not
2: in the 70s uh ken norton did a series of films slave films that you know mandingo and drum and Mm -hmm. i think maybe one other that highlighted the uh, sexual exploitation of black males Mm. by 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 white women and and uh, and white men
0: you know and and you're right there's also another film uh that i actually have sitting in my room and the film escape the title escapes me there i mean there were films with that cover but it didn't become a part of the narrative
3: right Mm, mm.
0: you know if you think of roots because roots was the first real mainstream uh media production that gave white and black america a visual narrative Mm
3: -hmm.
0: for slavery right so that happens with but you don't see that really happening in roots you know in that kind of way but you know, again, Roots falls to what I was talking about. Roots, 12 Years of Slave. I mean, you name it. They all fall to the same dynamic where you see almost equal numbers of men and women. And so we all kind of walk away with this assumption that that's how it was. So when yeah. you posted this piece, well, hold on. Let me let me also. bring up the good brother here,
4: brother, man.
2: with the PhD. That, What's uh, up, man? I'm, I'm honored. What's going
4: to- on, brothers?
2: They've <laughs> got bookends, both uh, both the doctors in the house.
4: Uh-huh. Man, I'm sorry, bro. I kind of went over on my show, man. I got to talking yeah. to one of See the brothers. He... And, you know, it was I... a good time. See how you do me. Mm-hmm. And, hey, man, I'm sorry, brother. You know, <laughs> that, that, I never I, missed Dr. Johnson's show. I, I,
2: you know? I, I, I had to duck out, man. There's throwing blows in there, man.
4: Uh,
3: <laughs>
0: um, hey, You yeah. and Marcus just took my
3: time,
4: boy. <laughs> Damn. Man. But yeah, uh, man, this is a great topic. Uh, you know, I never was taught. That uh, you know, the vast majority of slaves were black males. Either now, I don't know if Claude actually has the numbers correct,
3: mm-hmm. but I
4: do know uh, that there were more men who were brought to the new world as slaves prior mm-hmm. to the outlawing of slavery, and you know, at the turn of the uh, 19th, you know, nineteenth century, and that that's when they began importing women over in bulk in I order guess. to reproduce. Uh, slaves
2: yeah yeah you there's know. there's a narrative that uh as far as work is concerned because before you know before, the, before they started growing cotton in great numbers women were virtually useless on the uh, on slave farms because mostly to, you know tobacco wasn't that bad but rice sugar cane and uh and and stuff like that basically uh the work was so hard and and basically you're doing uh work in uh in a lot of wet fields disease would actually kill off most of the women so well,
0: and there was a, now there was a great deal of disease, especially during the seasoning process, which is mm-hmm. a time period where, you know, fresh off the boat, you're put into a like really a kind of crash course mm-hmm. like in slavery. They refer to it as the seasoning process. And then from there, you're taken to the various areas that you are to be sold into. So there was a great deal of disease, some of that having to do with the yeah. environment, some of it yeah. having to do with the, 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 the ships. But here's yeah. the thing. Now, I want to set this up mm-hmm. um, now. The title for tonight. I is a riff on an excellent piece that I want you guys to check out. Um it's an interview, or not an interview, it's actually a, a presentation with uh Dr. Tommy Curry. Okay. And Curry does a, a presentation on a piece he refers to as racism as misandric aggression. Mm-hmm. And uh my good brother Gigi also did a recent take off this paper, but of course it was done with his own uh special twist on a slightly different topic. What was the title of yours, Gigi? Um on uh, dealing with misandric aggression
4: um I, I don't know the exact name man I, I got so many videos at this point i you know what's it's that, like james couple... brown making a record like what's the name of it
0: <laughs> nah, <man. laughs> it, was, it was recent i'm gonna look it up but you 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 kind of did it as well because i think what what i'm saying though is that you know we're taking off on this topic because it's something that was has been avoided it's something that's been downplayed it's something that we've not really talked about. And I'm going to get into why in a moment. Um, but it, part of it has to do with uh, a certain type of nationalism, really. It's really what you get to at the core of it. We saw ourselves in the way many of the elders want you know, really tried to push. OK, so the title you had was uh, the Tulsa Massacre as Black Misandric Aggression.
4: Oh, yeah. Yeah. OK. That was yesterday. That or the a, day before yesterday.
0: See, uh-uh. see what I mean? I'm trying mm-hmm. to. I'm trying to support you,
4: <laughs> man. I don't know. I, 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 you know, I got so much stuff going through my head, but that, oh, that Lord, was a the-
0: powerful piece, man. If y'all haven't checked out Green Gorilla's you know, video the Tulsa massacre as Black mm-hmm. misandric aggression. Mm-hmm. Check that piece out.
2: Fire. Fire.
0: Pure mm-hmm. fire.
4: You oh know. man, stop it, man!
0: Well, you ain't gonna get up here. I'm not gonna shout that out, man. But I'm pointing out that you, you, yourself, you know, Dr. Curry, myself, we're we're on a similar rift because we're bringing in elements that we were not taught about, and and are central to understanding the black male experience. But strangely enough, those pieces have been sacrificed in the name of community. And what do I mean by sacrificed? Uh, in order for have for us to have this idea. Uh, of community that's presented, being having been rooted in the shared experience of slavery, we relinquished historical ground, right, to have a narrative that wasn't true. Now, now I looked at a couple of different pieces alongside Claude Anderson. There's two pieces by David Eltis and Stanley L. Ingerman. One entitled "Fluctuations in Sex and Age Ratios in the Transatlantic Slave Trade, 1663 to 1864." Another one entitled Was the Slave Trade Dominated by Men? And the last piece by Paul E Lovejoy and David Richardson, Competing Markets for Male and Female Slaves, Prices in the Interior of West Africa 1780 to 1850. Now that last one will piss you off mm-hmm. because especially as is um you know, ADOS it'll piss you off because what they're doing is they're showing the market changes in 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 those slaves that were sold and bought.
3: Mm-hmm. And the
0: differences in the interior of West Africa from the, from the French, the the British, you know, sales going out of Africa.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And one of the things they talk about is, you know, when you talk about the Arab slave trade or the interior of West Africa, the slave trade within West Africa, women were sought out more. Mm-hmm. When you talk about the European slave trade, it, it, it overwhelmingly bends to men.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, you know, but but when you read the, the section of the paper dealing with the internal slave trade to West Africa, it's particularly frustrating because that too, It's not a subject that I had a lot of information presented in coursework. Mm -hmm. I did some reading on my own, but not in coursework. You really get to see how in-depth this was and impactful it was. But anyway, we're going to focus on the gender dynamic to uh, North American enslavement. And so the last piece by Lovejoy and Richardson says that there were certain parts of the new world where it, it ranged from eighty to ninety-five percent male, right? So, you, you, so you know, Dr. Anderson gives us a rough number of about eighty percent male, uh, mm-hmm. but of course, we're talking about the Western Hemisphere, so that's a pretty wide birth, especially when you're talking about from the fifteen hundreds.
2: Yeah, well, the 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 uh, the Spanish and the Portuguese brought in virtually no females, mm-hmm. virtually no females to the uh, to the West. Because I was just reading that, and I was just listening to a, another guy that researched it. He said uh, they brought in virtually no females. In fact, the uh, the on, only thing they allowed the uh, the male slaves to do was actually mate with the indigenous population, which something was prevented by uh, slaves into the Americas, not the Americas, but into the United States. That was there was a big difference, hmm. but they they brought in virtually no females.
0: Now. I'm curious, um, Gigi, how much of this did you get in your in your your higher ed schooling as far as the the, the disaggregated data on on men in slavery?
4: Zero. I mean, you know, I've taken history. You know, you got to take history courses as, as an undergrad. OK, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. zero. Yeah. You know, I mean, we talked about slavery uh right. we talked about uh slave narratives uh we talked about reconstruction we talked about jim crow we talked about you know moving on into uh the 90s uh the new phase you know after post civil rights black america but we never had a conversation about the demographic makeup of slaves the only thing i've ever heard is that women had it harder that our women were raped during slavery that's yeah. all i heard
3: yes yeah. mm-hmm. Yes.
4: and that you know and i guess it, it it makes natural sense when you think about it right uh and i'm not discounting anything that black women have gone through mm-hmm. that, that were dealing with that ordeal mm-hmm. uh, but i had no knowledge that the vast majority of, sla- of slaves were, were male
2: mm-hmm.
4: and that they were just disposable that you you know if it breaks you know, kill it and get another one,
2: get another one or work it to death and get another one. Because the the average uh, length of a slave once they brought it to the especially to the islands was about six to seven years before they died.
3: Well, shout
0: out to Dr. William Smith. Um, had a chance to talk with him earlier today. He sent me in the, uh, several pieces covering this. And the, and the brother's been teaching this since the early 90s. So, I, mm. you know, shout out to my brother. I do believe he's listening now. Um, And one of the things we talked about when we talked about this era, he said two things that really, you know, kind of smacked me in the face. And it it, it was just the way he put it. He said, you know, one of the things that he had discovered uh, that wasn't being talked about, right, was that black men were sold three to five times more than women. And then he said, uh, for the most part, they died 10 years earlier. Mm -hmm. And one of the things he likes to emphasize in his work, and I, I, I appreciate him for doing this, is he likes to emphasize, well, I shouldn't say likes, but he emphasizes um, how these men were worked to death, how th- they were worked so hard that muscle detached from bone. Mm-hmm. And because they were worked in the numbers, they were worked into the severity that they were worked. The idea was that it wasn't expected for them to live past about five years. If they yes. made five years, that was acceptable.
2: Yeah. And in fact, they, they they actually put this. In fact, it was actually they put it into a, a rate of return as far as getting loans and, uh, and financing slaves. The rate of return you could get from a slave in the five or six years they would be alive. Yeah. Uh, that that was the, one of the roots of capitalism You know, mm-hmm. the rate of return right, Return on investment mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. so yeah, yeah was on so, point.
0: It, so that alone is significant So it's not, for him, it's not just A matter of who was sold In the greatest numbers, it was the rationale For mm-hmm. why they were sold And bought the way they were Because it was, it was you know, designed for them To die and be replaced
3: mm-hmm.
0: You know, we we were We were, you know um, Exposed, what do you, uh
4: fungible
2: disposable Mm -hmm. disposable disposable yeah Yeah.
4: um
0: i'm in the i'm also trying to find this piece that i teach from but i'm not finding it Mm -hmm. anyway so i'm looking at this and 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 i'm really trying to grapple not only uh well there he is in the chat what's up doc he says also insurance policies Mm
3: -hmm.
0: get it that's what's up but see this is this is the but for me the issue is not only that it happened and not only the brutality of of it happening To me, it goes back to the flat blackness of it, you know, where we 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 sacrifice historical accuracy Mm
3: -hmm.
0: for the sake of making an argument that that gets weaponized Mm -hmm. by the time we get to black feminism. Right. Because black feminism, black feminism makes the argument. And we see early, early underpinnings of this with people like Sojourner Truth when she talks about, you know, black men, you know, not shouldn't be the ones to get the right to vote because they're just going to dominate us and so on and so forth. You know, these kind of narratives that we hear um, mm-hmm. re- revisited with the rise in Black feminism. But the idea that right after slavery ends, Black men go right into oppressing Black women. And we see this popularized in narrative mm-hmm. with fiction,
3: mm-hmm. like Color Purple, mm-hmm. right?
0: which, is, which is almost considered a part two to slavery in a weird kind of, you know, revisionist manner. But the flat Blackness I talk about is the way in which our the historical memory of slavery right, is flattened when it comes to gender as it pertains to anybody but Black women and girls. And when it accounts for Black females, then all of a sudden we have this whole offshoot that is considered the only viable gender narrative for slavery. Right? So there's this strange dynamic going on where our experience is flattened when convenient and it is made very particular and distinct when useful but not as it pertains to black men and boys any thoughts about that
2: yeah well the thing is that's the victim of Olympics uh you see the Asians doing it now because they want uh they want more perks mm-hmm. and the way to do that is basically putting yourself in the class of the underclass so um yeah so that's why they would hide it otherwise uh men would men would get the bulk of the of the um of the goodies, mm. you know, especially in the seventies, you know, that's, uh, that's like, I mean, they always, uh, disparage the Monahan report. Mm. Okay. Because, because the, because the whole thing about, uh, equal, uh, uh, about equal opportunity was actually for black men. So black men could be, you know, assume the, uh, the con- not on control, but also responsibility of the black family and black so- women killed it.
0: So much like sojourner Truth's you know reservations mm-hmm. about black men having the right to vote, yes that if black men are the primary beneficiaries of employment and affirmative action right rooted around benefiting the black family,
2: the, they would, the would oppress black, black women, women
0: oppress black women yeah
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, um, yeah Green but, would, any well, thoughts about
4: Yeah um, you know the the odd thing about this is uh, you got to figure, Everybody knows this figure, Frederick Douglass, right? But mm-hmm. I mean, you, you hear all kinds of stuff about Frederick Douglass and abolitionism, but you don't ever hear in undergraduate in institutions uh, or, or programs, nor do you hear in graduate uh, programs this this you know conflict between Frederick Douglass and his support for white suffragettes and and black women being able to vote mm-hmm. alongside with uh, you know black men. You don't hear about this conflict and how everything just switches when black men are about to be enfranchised. Uh, And even the subject of discussion is taken into consideration uh, by, you know, Congress and uh, uh, by the presidency. I mean, you know, it's almost as if they were traitors Uh, and and they, because let's look at some of the things that Douglas said about this. I mean, ultimately he says, look, And this is a quote from Douglas. We hold women to be justly entitled to all we claim for man. We -hmm. go farther and express our conviction that all political rights, which it is expedient for man to exercise, it is equally so for women. And this is Douglas. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, he basically also says, look, a discussion of the rights of animals would be regarded with far more complacency by many of what are called the wise and good of our land than with a discussion of the rights of women, of, of women. Okay? Mm-hmm. But then all of a sudden, when Black men are about to receive the franchise uh, or, or a discussion about Black men receiving the franchise uh, is reaching, you know, uh, like finality uh, within the popular consciousness and in, in the bodies of, uh, you know, uh, of the, you know, legislatures, all of a sudden, white women—you know, Elizabeth, Katie, Stanton, and Susan B. Anthony—they do a switch. They do a turnabout face, and they all of a sudden, you know, begin to talk about how black men are inferior. Mm-hmm. They're not as civilized. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're mm-hmm. savages. Right. Uh, and 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 Frederick Douglass then says, "I mean, he's got to be thinking to himself: Are you serious?" Mm. I mean, and this is a quote that he, he puts forth: Should the females of New York be placed on a level of equality with males before the law? If so, let us petition for this impartial justice for women. But then he says, "Look, but on a on putting a priority after the Civil War on votes for African American males before women in general, mm. women because they are women are dragged from their homes." And hung on lampposts when their children are torn, <laughs> to their own, dashed upon the pavement, then they will have the urgency to obtain the ballot. So, all here, Frederick Douglass is just illustrating racism as it plays out is much more different qualitatively, and the oppression that comes and stems from it qualitatively is much more injurious, much more devastating than what women are going through in relation to them being enfranchised. Mm. And, and and this is the thing that it just befuddles my brain, because you got a black man, one of the most renowned black men, championing white women right. and black women to attain the vote. And as soon as black men are considered for the vote, if we can't get it alongside, then we're going to push to block it.
3: Mm. Yeah,
4: we don't want these darkies ruling over us. Mm-hmm. See, this is why. This is why I believe that most white women have never had a problem with patriarchy to begin with. Mm-hmm. The only thing that they had a problem with is with, is with black with black men having access to traditional white patriarchal power.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
4: That and, and but uh, black, white men as well. Okay. Mm-hmm have an issue with this so i think this is all a ruse for the most part to just be perfectly honest you Mm -hmm. know for white women to declare themselves victims of the horrible horrendous white men who gave them all that they wanted let them have control over the plantation and arbitrary power over the lives of you know the slaves oh such a horrendous and and problematic position for these people to be in right Mm um but all of a sudden they become victims black men become barbaric brutes and savages and it's unfortunate that you know black women have taken up the same talking points as these white women right and now you got black men who are in the cat in the academy who are echoing these sentiments the go along get along gang you know i mean the, the, i call them quizlings you know like Men who just want to, you know, follow the narrative because they don't want to rock the boat and make women feel bad or because it will, it will prevent them from, you know, moving up the, you know, educational ladder. It's, See, it's
0: But it's it's particularly egregious because when you have this legacy that we've had and how we've taught the history, um, we've because I understand. So we're pushing we're basically talking about a nationalist paradigm. Because replete in Black nationalism is the idea that men need to fall on their swords for the benefit of the community. Now, that becomes a problem when feminism is particularly designed to exploit chivalry. And that's one of the things we see happening, especially in the rise of, of second wave feminism in the 60s, third wave feminism in the 80s. It's particularly designed to take chivalry and turn it on its head, to use chivalry for the advancements of women, while at the same time shaming men, right, who may challenge it. And one of the things we've seen happening, even in Africana studies, is a, a, a kind of retroactive historical chivalry that's expected when it comes to disaggregating the data and thinking about the narrative, right? So we've had this kind of shift, this 50-50 narrative of slavery. And the, and the first, really one of the first things that, that woke me up to it was watching Mate Parker's Birth of a Nation. When I watched the part, it wasn't the film itself. It was the response to it. There was a feminist cadre that, that, you know, this is the same group that protested that the film was made at, at all. Right. And they used Nate Parker's, you know, legacy as the background of this. But this is how you knew it wasn't about Nate Parker. There was a push to eliminate Nat Turner's name from the entire rebellion. And one of the complaints people had not only about the film, but about how we think about Nat Turner Was that it somehow left out scores of sword carrying women who were part of this violent revolution. And when black historians, very few, very few, I mean, I can't count a full hand worth, full five fingers worth. But when the ones that I did hear about tried to say, look, according to the historical narrative, when you look at all the people that were lynched, only one was a woman. That was met with accusations of misogyny, accusations of sexism, so on and so forth. Because to suggest that rebellions were primarily male was a sexist narrative. But if you frame that within the context of the numbers that we have about how many men were brought versus women, at least to the Western Hemisphere and particularly in North America, it actually supports that you would have a rebellion that is almost entirely male. Because the numbers kind of reveal that. What are your thoughts about the way in which that kind of is restructured in 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 both Black Studies, but also in the, the kind of public media narrative about rebellion. Let's start with uh, I'll start with uh, BGS on that one. Say it again. <laughs> that
2: was in the chat. <laughs>
0: we were talking about uprisings being primarily male and the way the numbers of purchases support that. No feminists have argued that the uprisings were, for the most part, 50-50 men and women. No. Men have just been ignored in the historical narrative.
2: No, no. (laughs) Women didn't fight. Uh Look at any flavor uprising and they documented and see who got who got killed. There weren't any women in that. Mm at all i mean at the, the very at the most uh the haitian revolution uh where women actually participated but even then they didn't fight
0: appreciate that Jerome, but why is it a problem uh that and, and this can go to Gigi because i didn't mean to cut you off but why is it a problem that men even say that if it's historically accurate go ahead
2: uh they want to cater to the female ego and plus you know they have to, you know uh black men over the past 56 years have been socialized that it's 50 50 for mm-hmm. the heroic female mm-hmm. for the strong black female even though it's, historically it was never accurate so um i don't know i don't know why it gets ignored i don't know why this narrative keep, get, keeps getting pushed out yeah you know but it is what it is you know that's um uh, now, that's something that's in the purview of you guys, because you guys are the teachers. You guys have to, you know, you guys are the ones that have absorbed this information and give it out. So um, I'm, I'm sure there's politics that go along in the academy just like there's politics and, and that, that kind of stuff every place else. There's a narrative that has to be pushed. And uh, if you look at just the Nat Turner Rebellion, how many women were in the Nat Turner Rebellion or the, uh, the M.R.D.C. Mm-hmm. Rebellion? Very large, very large rebellions. How many women were actually involved? I've never seen the names of any women, any women being involved in it.
0: Like I said, when you look at the list of those who were lynched after the Turner Rebellion, there's one woman listed. And that wasn't necessarily to suggest she was involved because we know they lynched quite a few people just because Mm -hmm. the rebellion happened. It wasn't just a matter of lynching the people that were involved. They actually didn't know who was entirely involved. So that was part of it. But Gigi, any thoughts?
4: Yeah, um, uh, you know, ever since the advent of second wave feminism, there's been you know revisionist history going on where people will go back to earlier events and typecast them as you know in their normal historical account, uh, as being somehow misogynist because it doesn't detail or it renders invisible. the the contributions and the participation of women and look i don't have a problem with uh you know making uh you know objective and impartial accounts of women's contributions to insurrection exactly uh, uh to bringing it to the fore right but i mean you know going back and you know lionizing women for what they didn't actually do or had the power or the agency to do given the circumstances Mm -hmm. is is ridiculous and then you know um again like you said doc and, and what bgs said as well like we man we've had 60 years of conditioning to be quiet to go along and get along to not say anything you know negative about black women and their claims for visibility, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, otherwise you'll be regarded as a misogynist. But look, you can't reduce every argument to misogyny. Mm -hmm. At some point like this, it's like crying wolf. You can cry wolf over and over and over again, but at some Mm -hmm. point it becomes ineffective and people get tired of hearing it. Mm -hmm. And and I'm I'm at the point right now where it's like, okay, look, we know all black women weren't coons, okay? <laughs> there were <was> some <laughs> revolutionary black women out there, sure. okay? Sure. We know all black men weren't revolutionary either. We know with some black male coons. Absolutely. But we have to acknowledge there were black male coons. There were also black female coons, okay? Like, I mean, I, I hate for you to hear this, you know, uh, in the way that you're hearing it, because typically I wouldn't use the word coon because, you know, I, I think it's, it's reductive and it really doesn't, you know, lay out the subtleties. Or what black folks were dealing with and some of the choices and decisions that they made. Okay. But let's just be realistic. War, insurrection, revolution, it's primarily a male sport. Right. It just is what it is. Right. And, 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 and if it's the case that it's not, then, you know, why ain't we seeing more of it in the past? Like where, where are your guns at? Where are your knives and swords at now? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and if you, and then not only that, this is the this is the strange bifurcation and the, the inconsistency in all of this. So on one hand, black women are the most subjected to violence and uh, you know the dominance of men, but at the same time, they have the agency to resist against it with arms.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Like I just I, I can't like I feel like Clayton Bixby, you know, on on Dave Chappelle where his brain is about to explode. Like I can't. <laughs> figure out how you're this strong
1: but at the same time
4: you're you're this weak you know like i just i don't get it and and, and at some point it it just we have to stop the chicanery with this like we're not discounting the contributions of black women i believe black women have been insurrections okay Mm -hmm. but let's just tell the truth about this man Mm -hmm. right you don't have to include yourself in every narrative in order to prove your worth. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be everywhere in order to prove your value. You don't have to be doing the exact same things modally as men to demonstrate your worth. You just don't have to.
0: But that's, see, and that's part of the reason I, when I talked about this last piece that I did, I looked at Love Lovejoy and Richardson competing markets for male and female slaves. Right. This is in the interior of West Africa. One of the things you can find out right off the bat as to why you likely had uh, far less you know, female-led rebellions as, as people may be comfortable with, is they just weren't here.
3: No, they, were they weren't
0: sold to greater degrees into other slave trades. And that's when I teach the slave trades, I talk about the African continent being victim to multiple slave trades at the same time over mm-hmm. centuries. And so women were just not really taken to the Western Hemisphere to that mm-hmm.
2: And, and, and a, lot, a lot of the uh, women, if they were taken, uh, uh, slaves... Uh, never made it to the boats. They were either pregnant or they uh were sold off as wives on the continent. Uh, most of them, I would say, like ninety percent of them, never uh, made it to the boats. Well, Even when they- I, I, I when I was at uh, Elmina Castle, that's what they who said they said the vast majority of women that were taken were sold, never made it to the boats
0: Damn.
2: to be to be shipped off.
0: Well, I will. I do want to add as an aside. If you get a mm-hmm. chance to really look into this, one of the things that'll kind of throw you. um is you know the description Lovejoy and Richardson give to the scrambling to acquire mm-hmm. labor. And they talk mm-hmm. about the breadth of places in into the interior of the continent by mm-hmm. which people and one of the things that highlights for you is that you know, by the time you start talking about a population in North America, we mm-hmm. are coming from so many different places mm-hmm. across the continent, different languages, different cultures, different orientations.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: one of the things that i was taught when i was first brought in africana studies is that we as african people had one culture that mm-hmm. was that was the narrative so so men and women were here in equal numbers we had one african culture or one african people in the discussion and that was something that i held to for a long time until i started to read through i'm like okay we really didn't have a sense of continental you know identity mm-hmm. at that time period but we were taken from all kinds of different places different cultures different languages We were Mm -hmm. found together. There were virtually no women. There were, Mm -hmm. were, you know, I've even assigned homework assignments where they talk about, you know, marriage and interaction between African, Native American and white indentured servants on Mm plantations. But again, when you add the subtext of the absence of black women, Mm -hmm. who's actually mating with who? You know what I mean? So when you start to look at the details of this, it's like, you know, we have done a great deal to maintain a very particular type of Black identity. And I get why we did it. I get it. You know, there was this sense that we needed to come together. And and, and so we have these kind of narratives in place that protect this. But Mm -hmm. we were not prepared for the weaponization of it, you know, particularly by feminists. And one of the things it kind of leads us to is a bit of a problem as it pertains to not only historical accuracy, but how to address this weaponized kind of feminism. Recently, uh, and I think O'Shea covered this in one of his recent shows, might have even been today or yesterday. He he talked about a, a post by uh, Boyce Watkins, and Boyce Watkins was talking about how we need to pedestalize black women. Yes. Now I'm looking at this history. I'm looking at the really the relatively low numbers of, of women, but the ways in which we inject them into the historical narrative so that we can. We can all, you know, we can all feel like this is the same kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then I look at this push to pedestalize. And this is not new. This is not new. You know, I come out of the nationalist community as well. This is something we've, you know, again, I said this earlier. We've been taught to fall on our swords as men a lot as a feature of black male identity. You mm-hmm. are a good man if you fell on your sword. You were a good man if you prioritize women above yourself. So on and so forth.
2: Mm-hmm. So you say, have to make you- you have to make up for the uh, the getting black women enslaved without fighting for them you, now, you know i
4: think there's something deeper going on there look yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. White we, women, we, we have you? been we, we have been held accountable by black women for slavery and this is true it, yeah yeah all, so I all think of that, that
4: all of that is true but i think mm-hmm. there's something deeper going on here mm-hmm. look, look white people Black people want to be like white folks. Okay, let's just be honest about this, bro. You know, I'm not trying to be ignorant by saying this, but Mm -hmm. but white men pedestalized white women, Mm -hmm. but it was it was for a specific reason, Mm -hmm. and it served a specific purpose. For us, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't serve a purpose (laughs) (laughs) other than other than an an emotional you know uh, as, as a source of narcissistic supply. Mm-hmm. Now, oh, now it, for wh-
0: it affirms a certain type of femininity if white mm-hmm. women are the standard of femininity and mm-hmm. black women are not allowed that then the idea is mm-hmm. the more they get what white women get the more yes. feminine they
4: are Yes. The black exactly. continue brother but, but this, this is what they miss about this the pedestal the pedestalization of white women occurred in order to relegate white women to a specific domain of white culture mm-hmm to make sure that they didn't remove themselves from that domain Mm -hmm. so you get second wave feminism and the suffragettes who are coming they're trying to contest the pedestalization of womanhood and then now you have women who don't even know about this history right and i'm talking about victorian england because the the idea was that women were better than men okay and they were more virtuous than men right and they gave birth to, and they were able to educate uh, and continue the propagation of the virtuous species. We, I mean, and, and all, all of the white races, patriarchal in general, they're more civilized, they're more educated, uh, they're more rational as opposed to just guttural and physical and uh, impulsive and irrational. And so, um, but this notion that white women needed to be pedestalized mm-hmm. was a way to make sure that she wasn't wanton and loose that she didn't have control over her own sexuality and so forth. Mm -hmm. This was the reason why she was pedestalized in order to restrict her to a certain kind of sexual and a social function. Right. But now you come along and you got black women who want to presume that they're just as good as white women and men, black men who want to assume that black women are just as, you know, uh, good as white women. Who are using this, this historical ideology, this historical interpretation of womanhood mm-hmm. to perform a function that it cannot perform.
0: So you're talking about competing nationalisms, but we don't have the structures in place to where that, that's functional.
4: That it doesn't make sense. Oh, it's it's out of place. It's mm-hmm. an, first of all, it's anachronistic. It's out of place related to time. And also it's out of place in terms of functionality. Right, black men have never sought to restrict black women and to keep them in a specific place. Mm-hmm. But that's you, not what, what n- black men have never, especially Adolf's black men or or FBA black men, however you want to you know nominate them or, or whatever you want to mm-hmm. call them. Mm-hmm. Black men have always had to be aware that black women's bodies were open; she had choices that white women never had. Okay, mm-hmm. they, they just didn't. The, the, the black woman was the seat of the family precisely because at any time you could be sold off and right. then the children could be separated from the mothers anytime as well. But mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was far less often uh, up until a certain age you know, uh, than it was for black men, you know, cause black men would just be sold off all the time, separated all the time. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the very idea that black men would pedestalize black women and put them on this, you know, this, 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 you know, this this position of uh, you know of of supreme beneficence, we just ne- we never had a reason to do that, okay. And and it's not to take away the agency of women. Black men have always acknowledged the agency of black women. They know what position she has in white society related to mm-hmm. themselves. They all they always knew that bla- the that black women could triangulate dangerous positions and situations for black men. Yes, we are we always knew that. Yeah, OK. Yeah. But now it's reached a point where the triangulation is happening and black yeah. women are doing it for money and status and power mm-hmm. and visibility and they're doing so over our dead bodies.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know, you and
4: know, uh, I, that's wrong. I, I read
2: a I read a piece and I think I shared it with the doc uh, in uh, uh, Nathan Julian. Julia's hair book where they said that uh, black women have always been the liaison between black men and the white world.
4: That's just the the truth. Is the Mm. mammy can say things Mm -hmm. that a a field black male field slave cannot say.
2: Cannot say. Yeah.
4: Well, part of that is it. It just is what it is. You can lie about it. You can you you can be upset about it. A a black woman can can go off, talk loud, Mm -hmm. chastise a little white boy. Mm -hmm. A black man can't chastise a little white boy the way mammy can. Yes. It just can't happen.
2: But part
0: of what we're talking about is what bgs brought up in terms of them being the 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 buffer right mm-hmm. interacts with white society but they're also propped up by policy right mm-hmm. if it's policy that the child's very identity is tied into whether or not the mother is enslaved or not you're talking about the influence of policy on establishing the family order because mm-hmm. it is defined by black women's positionality so mm-hmm. this Part of that that we have to acknowledge is part of this dynamic. Their status, especially when you get to this notion of the gynocracy, happens in part because of the influence of policy. Somebody Mm -hmm. somebody has background. They got to turn down. But the other thing I think we need to consider with this, right, is as we're talking about this issue of, uh, you know, not only femininity, but in particular, this chivalry toward the feminine. We got to look at how it plays out in the contemporary era. What we deal with now, there's a, a very particular type of selective traditionalism that I keep hearing hearing when it comes to dating and mating, right? The expectations of men is that today, in 2021, men are still supposed to provide... We're damn near expected to do, do everything but pay a dowry mm-hmm. at, these, at this current moment, and it's predicated on the same Victorian ideas of femininity, but only when useful, right? You are supposed to protect, provide, you know, purchase all of those things as long as it's useful. But when it comes to her role, she can do anything she wants. Right? She could be, she could work full-time, she could work part-time, she could have mm-hmm. children, she could adopt children, she could not mm-hmm. have children, she could mm-hmm. go to work, she could stay home. She could like in, in, in how we conceptualize the relationships between men and women, and particularly the structure of the black family. Black women can do whatever they want and it's mm-hmm.
2: socially acceptable.
0: Yeah, Men have the same roles that we've been talking about for generations and they're predicated on
2: hey, yeah. I
0: appreciate that, Mojo. They're predicated on these ideas we've been talking about.
2: What did Zora Neale Hurston say? The two freest people in America are who white men and black women because they can do what they want.
4: It's, it so, so, So look, in the Victorian era, if you were a woman, you had to get married, mm-hmm. period. You, you're not going single and having sex in the city. It ain't mm-hmm. going to happen. OK,
3: Right. right.
4: your pedestalization is, is predicated upon your purity and chastity, mm-hmm. not just because you exist. And it was a way to confine women to not be loose, mm-hmm. you know, and to prevent them from, you know, being, you know, uh, what is lionized now, sexually powerful. Mm -hmm. Because these white men perceived this as a destruction, the breakdown of the fabric of of society, Mm -hmm. because they thought that the institution that was the cornerstone of society itself was the family. Mm -hmm. Okay. You eradicate and erode the family, you eradicate the the society and civilization itself. Mm -hmm. Okay. It wasn't about love and it wasn't about sexuality. It was about preserving the stability of western culture and civilization right. okay it doesn't matter what you want it doesn't matter what a woman desires her virtue is predicated upon her ability to reproduce mm-hmm. and to do so in a specific and in a narrow way right that's why these women were pedestalized during this period prior to that i mean women were perceived uh, uh, to the victorian era women were perceived as in league with the devil in Western culture, <laughs> they were considered like just look at Western culture in general, man. OK, just look at it. OK, what what you will see again and again and again are accounts and narratives about women being deformed, males, Aristotle, Plato being, I guess, one of the only ancient Greek philosophers, you know, if you can consider that Occidental or Western culture to actually say, OK, women can be just as virtuous as men. But they don't have the same kind of physical power or acumen and shouldn't be fighting in the battles with men, although they should be playing supportive roles and should mate with the best and most virtuous men. But I mean, in the medieval era, come on, man, they put women on, you know, uh, the, the, the end of nooses, put them in Iron Maidens and burned them and did all kind of mm-hmm. crazy stuff just like right. they did men. Right. OK, no, no pedestalization, none of that. Okay, mm-hmm. you only see this pedestalization and this romanticization of womanhood when you come to the Victorian era and it served a specific social function. Mm-hmm. Okay? But black men, even if you go back to ancient African cultures, you've always seen the lionization of women. Mm-hmm. Starting with, you know, the, the, the ISIS and the Horus myth. Mm-hmm. I mean, the original virgin mother and child. Right. Okay. But she wasn't a virgin, of course, but I mean, she would, the original deification of childhood and motherhood and the bond between mother and child, uh-huh. you see that there in, in, in ancient Africa from, from the outset, okay? Uh-huh. But you also see there ma'at, which is balanced, because just uh-huh. as you see the veneration of female deities and the motherhood principle, uh-huh. you always saw those obelisks which are representative of male phallus power, you always saw that there.
0: There was balance. That,
4: that everywhere. Yeah, mm-hmm. Just the way the motherhood principle yeah. is accepted and, and revered, right. the fatherhood principle is accepted and revered because there was a social place for them. There were all this men are trash nonsense. Mm-hmm. The Egyptians would be like, what are you what fucking are you talking stupid? talking about, about that. No,
0: but by the way, I told y'all when I was talking about love and basketball, it would come mm-hmm. back in. Notice what he's talking about. The mm-hmm. veneration of the father doesn't happen. So mm-hmm. even in popular media, especially when we talk about black fathers, you can't have them being exalted. No, you know, but I didn't want to interrupt you, Gigi. I'm just saying what you're saying is definitely dead on because it, we're even seeing it in the contemporary era. We can't have
4: the kind of balance you're talking about. But it's also, look, the veneration and pedestalization of womanhood requires patriarchy. Mm. Yes. Without it, you don't have it. Yes. I mean, you you have to have it. You have to have patriarchy in order to have the pedestalization of Mm
3: -hmm. women. Mm -hmm.
4: Otherwise, if, if they're running shit and doing everything and getting their hands dirty and making the money, they're fighting wars and carrying swords... That's vicious behavior. Mm-hmm. That's rape, kill, plunder, and, and, and conquer. <laughs> now, either you're going to be affiliated with that sort of shit, or you're not. Mm. Are you going to rape, pillage, and plunder? <laughs> <laughs> or are you going to be like a mother, and you're you're caring and nurturing? Which one is it? You can't be everything all at once. You right. This Shaka Khan shit is out of hand, man. It's, <laughs> it's out of hand. They're trying to do too much, and 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 you're right. <laughs> Feminism depends upon chivalry. Yes. It, de- it depends upon men stepping mm-hmm. back and allowing women to have their way because mm-hmm. it assumes that women are more virtuous. Mm-hmm. At the very self same time that women are asking not to be pedestalized, they're playing this this game, this this you know this this ob- obviating you know yeah. oscillating game. They they, they want to move back and forth between being strong and vigorous and being a damsel. Mm-hmm. That shit can't work forever. This, mm-hmm. and, and and this is why men are pushing back, but it's not men in informal spaces that are doing this. It's mm-hmm. men who are actually impacted by these policies who mm-hmm. are actually experiencing narratives, which are the contrary of those which have been etched into the popular culture through media and through the academy.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Women are, now that women are earning money and have freedom and have power of institutions in, in ways that men don't have, they're using power in, in less than, than beneficent and, and merciful ways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're human beings, man. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you, you, don't, you don't pedestal. Look, at the same time that women required, even in the Columbia River Collective, they say we don't want to be pedestalized. We want to be treated just the same. But they don't want to be treated just the same no, they right. can't. Yeah,
0: yeah. And that's why I was talking about selective traditionalism They don't want to be treated the same They actually they want to cherry pick a new formation That puts them in a position of authority Puts mm-hmm. them in a position of elitism Without mm-hmm. the responsibility and sacrifice mm-hmm. That goes with authority and elitism
2: mm-hmm.
3: right?
0: they, don't want to, they don't want to pay the sacrifice They want men to continue to pay the sacrifice But they want to reap the benefits
2: They want to be day walkers Man, that shit is day,
4: day like. Hey, bro, you can't be a day walker because that's a mm-hmm. bad motherfucker. Excuse me.
2: Yeah, <laughs> that's well, what pops on the screen when a donation. Oh, hey, made. Yeah, with none of with none of the liabilities. Yeah,
0: but especially when a good portion of that power is, is built off a of black male body. So again, if we mm-hmm. go back to how African Americans are seen, right, the, the legacy of the Negro is predicated on his positionality in slavery, and I'm talking about black community, right. So from slavery all the way up to contemporary police homicides, Mm -hmm. all of that, the majority of which we're talking about is black male blood. We know in the contemporary era, and when it comes to police homicide, we've been saying this for years, it's about nine to 13 women a year. It's about two to 300 black men a year, right? But now that we're able to look back at slavery, look at the data and actually figure out that anywhere from 80 to 95 percent. those enslaved particularly in north america were male now Mm -hmm. we're saying that really what has come about in terms of the perception of african americans is off the blood of black men Mm -hmm. how many black men benefit
4: from this narrative or even the protests around
0: male deaths?
2: exactly
4: and see, this is this is look let me just say this bro so there's a brother in the chat that just says only simps think black women have power over black men and not to knock this brother i understand what he means but you we have to begin to think about power in different ways.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: See, see, a lot of men think that power is just brutality.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Alpha power, physical power to impose their will over their immediate environment. Like that's mm-hmm. a little lady. She has no power.
2: Mm-hmm. A
4: little lady calling the police on your ass has a There's lot,
2: a of, lot power. of power. yes.
4: And it, it, it's called proxy power. Mm-hmm. They got a lot of that. And if you don't believe it, well okay well you, you fat yeah, me yeah. greasy you'll see yeah. one day if you keep you keep keep up thinking that you you all powerful
2: if if black women didn't have power in this society there would be no manosphere
4: well, and not only that look not only that look black women know exactly what strings to pull in order mm. to get work done mm-hmm. not only from white men or white women, but they know how to pull it and extract it out of black men as well. This what? and, and the, the very notion you, you this Antonio Gramsci is important, man. You need to read this guy. Absolutely. Antonio Gramsci. Mm-hmm. Hegemony, man. Gemini. The power what? of narratives, the power of discourses, the power of framing issues. Mm-hmm. Right. right. That is powerful. Yep. Damseling is powerful. Mm-hmm. Female mm-hmm. tears are powerful. Mm-hmm. If you don't think that shit is powerful, it'll, it is it, caused wars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is caused violence amongst men. Okay. But it, see, caused, but it has caused men to be executed. So the very idea that women don't have any power mm-hmm. is, 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 is absurd. It's bit, but, the, but, here's, is, but here's the
0: contradiction though. The contradiction mm-hmm. is black men are accused Mm-hmm. of being privileged off because they have, they, they have a power extended by white men, right? This was the early argument with intersectionality in 89, that black men were privileged because they had penises and that aligned them with empowered mm-hmm. white men. But the irony is what you're saying is that it's actually black women who have power on the backs of white women. Mm-hmm. Because when we talk about that same proxy violence, right, that had white women able to rape black men at the threat of, of screaming rape, and having Mm -hmm. a mob kill him. Now Mm -hmm. you can go to jail off of a false accusation simply because she called the police. There's a brother who reached out to me two weeks ago, Mm
3: -hmm. called
0: me. I may have mentioned this in another show, but bear with me. He called me and he said, you know what, Doc, I finally see what you've been saying.
3: Mm
0: -hmm. uh, He said, my boy, uh, who's over 50, mind you, was recently sent to jail because his girl called the police and made up a charge. Mm -hmm. And the reason she made up a charge was because he came home late. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: So this man went to jail off of a false accusation based on a black woman calling the police because she was angry at her man. The entitlement Mm -hmm. whereby you can know that calling the police will result in that. Mm -hmm. Use it as a controlling mechanism comes from policy. But that policy practice that advocates for you to have more power to where the police knock on the door, and it doesn't matter what I say, I got to go to jail simply because you made the mm-hmm. accusation. That yeah. comes from white women yeah. developing that positionality that you spoke to earlier, Gigi, mm-hmm. during slavery, where they're pulling from Victorianism but mm-hmm. applying it in a West in, in a in, a, in a, an American context. Right, it's the same dynamic, but it's, it's 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 from from first wave feminism all the way through. You're seeing this extension being given to black women. And, and my issue is that now you have black women who openly enjoy this power, refuse to acknowledge that they have it, let alone where it comes from, use it at will and at whim as a controlling mechanism or even a, 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 a punishing mechanism mm-hmm. for black men. But then we'll step back and say, I don't know what you're talking about. I have no such power. We're all the same. We're all black. We were all enslaved together. We went through civil rights. We're here together. We're all. And I've had women tell me this. We're shot and beat in the streets at the same rates. We all go through it together mm-hmm. I got into a debate a, several years ago with a woman about protests. And she said, well, we all carry the same threat of being killed like Michael Brown. I said, you are bullshitting. Mm-hmm. Look, even to this day, this was 2016. I said to this day, if black men show up at a protest in the same numbers as black women, the police show up in riot
2: gear. Mm-hmm. They do.
0: We're not, but there's no acknowledgement of the difference. And this is why I keep coming back to flat blackness and, and even flat maleness. There's no acknowledgement that, that there's a difference between black men and black women's experiences. And we don't want to disaggregate the data, even in the field of Africana studies, uh, Black studies, Pan-African studies, whatever, whatever aspect of the field you want to look at. We are not uh, incentivized or motivated to disaggregate the data. Much of the time, we don't even think to do it because of how we're trained. but, Mm -hmm. But in addition to that, were we to do it, often we would find women in a position that would be either embarrassing based on today's sentimentality about what men and women should be able to do at equal numbers, or there would be no women to talk about, depending on the conversation. And we can't have that in 2021, because unless it's, you know, women either equal to men or outshining men, it didn't exist.
2: Right.
4: It Didn't exist. That's where yeah, we are. But, uh, you know, we, we got to get out of that where we are, because, you know, uh, like I said on the show about uh, Tulsa and racism is a uh, black misandric aggression or the massacre there is mm-hmm. black misandric aggression. Mm-hmm. Look. Just make this perfectly clear. Man. Women are gaslighting us in this regard. Mm-hmm. This is a relatively recent phenomenon that, you know, was the offshoot of white feminism. And we know this because black women during the civil rights era had no, un, no problem knowing this. I mean, mm-hmm. because they were actually, you know, right smack dab in Jim Crow. So yeah, they, they knew they, I mean, they they were right there. Okay. There's no equivocation, but my mother knew this. Mm-hmm. I mean, she sat me down with my cousin and said, okay, that's a girl. She's pretty. You're a black boy. Boy, mm-hmm. you got three strikes against you. You're young, you're black, and you're a male. It's mm-hmm. going to be a problem for you in this culture, in this society. They're going to have their targets on you. She can find a husband. She going to be all right. You're in a heap of trouble, boy. Mm-hmm. That's what they told me. My grandmother and my mother set us down and had to talk about race. <laughs> now today, They've been having different conversations. They're having conversations about, well, you're not going to be seen and you're not going to be able to move up the corporate ladder. And there's going to be so many opportunities that you miss because you're a black woman. And what when did this shit become about corporatism? I thought this was about survival. Right. I thought this was about having a sense of well-being and functionality in, in the culture in which we live. I didn't know it had to do with who's going to get the positions in the jobs
2: first. It's always been that way. It's since 1970. Who's going to get the position in the job first?
4: But it but it was it was that way with white women
2: mm-hmm.
4: and black women have ridden the coattails of these white mm-hmm. feminists
2: el, 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 and they're playing
4: yeah. the same game. They're always
2: like, they're Olivia Pope. They 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 hope to ride the coattails of white women uh uh to be elevated above you know above the men.
4: But look, oh. let me just say this and i I'm I'm gonna be quiet for a minute. Mm-hmm. Had a had a Latino woman, man, a feminist, right? Mm-hmm. Man, like publishers are ass off, uh, you know, pro women, you know, like you know, the feminist Latina woman, that's her. Mm-hmm. Told me this is the crazy shit. She's got a husband at home, he primarily stays at home, doesn't work. Mm-hmm. But that dude is in control of the finances, he's the one that balances the books and makes the decisions. Mm-hmm. And she told me, well, you know, I'm traditional in that way, you know, but, uh, you know, we, we, we preserve the traditional family roles or whatever. But, you know, I'm the one who makes the most money and, you know, I, I'm you know more educated. But, you know, he, he had I don't make him feel like he's less than a man. Mm. And you see this shit all throughout the academy, bro. Mm-hmm. The most women that the women that I know, man, have partners, have male partners. And they don't disrespect them. They're nice to them. They're not mm-hmm. calling the police and doing crazy shit to them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm pretty sure that there are some crazy ass, you know, women and they have fights and shit, but they don't make it public. Mm-hmm. They don't drag everybody into their business with this bullshit. We had the only group of people, man, who have women who love ratchet shit. <laughs> well, They love this shit, bro. Like, i swear to God, man. Like, they love loving hip-hop bullshit. Mm -hmm. They like Bad Girls Club. They Mm -hmm. like this idea of the wild girls bullshit.
2: Yes. Yes, they do. Yeah.
4: And at some point, it's like, dude, look, this is not indicative of a healthy culture. This doesn't make you strong. It makes you an asshole is what it makes you. And men men will fulfill their traditional roles if women fulfill theirs. And it's not black men are not asking for women to hop around on one fucking foot like the woman in uh, Coming to America, the original, you know, Mm -hmm. the first installment. Mm -hmm. Black men are looking for cooperative partners of women who are not trying to flex the institutional power and use the triangulation that they have with white society in order to make their lives a living hell. That's what black men want
0: but this is one of the misnomers about traditionalism. See, I think we're, we're in an era now where women think traditionalism is primarily what benefits them and that men need to, they don't get anything. They just continue to act the way they act. Traditionalism was an exchange when it came to men and women. It was an exchange. Protection and provisioning came in, a, in, a, in, in relationship to cooperation and domesticity. Those things were tied together. What men did for women, what women did for men was an exchange. Now we're in an era where women want without an exchange. And then, and the whole concept of exchange, you know, they're oblivious to so much so that when men start to voice a need for an exchange, women are offended at the very thought because traditionalism has been redefined to such a great degree. There's no exchange. Men just sacrifice just because they exist. Now, the other thing I want to point out, and this mm. is a brief, quick message to my academics. The equivalent of the red pill in an academic space, particularly by black men, is disaggregating the data. The perfect example of this is Gigi's last uh the Gigi show the other day. I didn't get I didn't get to catch today's show because I was prepping for mine. But I'm an avid listener. I support Gigi's channel. I, and mm-hmm. by the way, support both channels. Go to Green Gorilla. If you haven't subscribed, make sure you do so definitely do so with bgs and Ibmore. what's your new channel's name black gnostic <laughs>
2: black pill gnostic black support, support yeah. yeah.
0: that's, what that's I,
2: where i'll put all my classic rants so i don't get a strike on my other channel
0: <laughs> okay well support support all three but what i want to say though is his last video the one i mentioned earlier the tulsa massacre mm-hmm. as black Misandry progression. it's it's not just about tulsa and i do want you to hear it because he delves into tulsa extremely well and we know that's in the news. Um, so it's good to hear it from a masculinist standpoint. But one of the things he does is he disaggregates the data as far as lynching. That's something that people kind of genteelly step aside from doing. We know that there are more than likely more men lynched, Black men in particular, but, we, we, you know, we're not going to talk about it. So we skip issues where Black men are clearly worse off so that we, you know, we can allow women to save face and we don't look like whatever and this happens in the academy to a great extent. We sidestep gender. Hell, in the, in the pieces I was looking at leading up to tonight, they went into great detail as much as they could to foreground women so nobody would be upset. And that's where mm-hmm. we got to. We're so worried about blowback that mm-hmm. we sacrifice historical accuracy. Mm-hmm. What I want you to do if you are in the academy is disaggregate the ga- the data, particularly on gender. And when you find black men, in a position where they're in the the largest numbers, especially vulnerable to something. Don't sidestep it. Don't sweep it under the rug. Actually, watch Gigi's video because the way he disaggregated the data and talked about lynching,
3: mm-hmm. you get,
0: to get to the the crux of what the issue is. And you you can't walk away from that video saying, "Wow, black people were lynched." No, black men. Now, it's not to say there weren't any black women. I mean, that's one of the things I noticed that black men are willing to do. We, we, we don't mind qualifying for the extent to which it happened. We're just saying at the end of the day, when you look at the numbers, how do you pretend like these numbers aren't aren't happening? See, this is the this is the this is the frustration I've had with this, because even in graduate school, for example, if we talked about incarceration, we talked about black incarceration. And the subtext was that women and men are both incarcerated to the same degree. And it's horrible. It wasn't until after our grad school where I was like, damn near 900,000 black men incarcerated and 65,000 black women. And we're talking about both of us.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: How exactly did black men's numbers become open and available to the black experience, but not specific to black men themselves?
2: Blame, blame Gucci boots. <laughs> there
4: swinging that fence over the fence, over over the
2: fence. yeah, you know, repression, yes, sir. And
0: if that's what she did, what how do we describe the black women that followed suit?
2: The same thing
0: hold on and sacrifice their own father's and grandfather's memory mm-hmm. in order to do so. There was a brother that wrote in on my comments today on one of my uh, my I think it was my one of my community posts. And he actually, po- no, actually it was my video from earlier today where I was talking about, I was asking the question, are black men appreciated? And one mm. thing he pointed out is that his family had mm-hmm. damn near erased the memory of his grandfather.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Venerated nice. His grandmother. So big mama is venerated.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Big papa died 20 years ago. And he gave, he bought that house that the family lived in off of his blood, sweat, and tears, but he's erased from familial memory.
2: Yeah, I, like uh, my maternal grandfather. I don't even know his first name.
0: God damn it!
2: Man, I'm 62 years old. I don't God know his first name. Man. My mother has never spoken my her father's first name. That's crazy, I know, man. I, I don't even know his first. I, you know, I know his last name because my mother carried it. But other than that, I don't know his first name. Don't don't know anything about him.
4: Yeah, that's crazy, man. And 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 look, let me just say, I've said this before. Mm-hmm. We're, we're arriving at a point where men are beginning to wise up and say, look, enough is enough of this. Look, we can admit that like women go through things, men go through things as well. Okay. And we're not being crybabies and we're not being effeminate by discussing what we're going through. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm sorry, Gigi. I'm sorry. I just gotta I'm still fucked up behind what you said, BGS. Mm-hmm. what's kidding me is how many men in the comments are writing same mm-hmm. same here same mm-hmm. here
2: yeah. god damn yeah yeah i don't i, I, I do not know my, i do not know my grandfather's first name i don't know i don't it's, know any i don't know any no I, don't know, I don't know anything about him in fact uh i know I know my great grandmother's name yeah uh, and and her, and her stories more than I know my own grandfather's Uh, Name stories. Don't know anything about him. He's a, he, as far as my memory does, he's a ghost. Okay. I know I had to have one, you know, a grandfather and a great grandfather. I have no clue who they were. Even, even, uh, my own grandmother never spoke about her father ever, ever tell me speak about this, her own what is this? like what i what I, is this? I, I, I don't it, it's a, it's, a, it's it's such a it's such a deep matriarchy right that uh after after you know after a certain amount of years they did uh black men just disappeared from history like like i said my my you know and i my my I was my grandmother's favorite and she used to tell me stories about her when she was a little child and about her mother and the stuff that she went through and um but that but as far as her own father, she never even, I don't even know. I don't even know his name.
0: Well, hold on for my inner light listeners who can't visibly see the chat. Mm-hmm. What we're seeing is, you know, after BGS stated that you got people writing same. you got people writing, um, you know, wow. Uh, where is it? Same here too. same mm-hmm. here. Um, uh, shaking my head. I don't either. Right. Mm-hmm. My grandfathers were both dead before I was born. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I met my granddad on my dad's side once.
2: Once. Same yeah. here.
0: I don't know my grandfather's name. Same here. Same here. I don't know my maternal my maternal grandpa at all. I don't know either of my grandfather's names. My father doesn't even know what year his father was born. Mm-hmm. Yep, my great grandfathers. I don't know who they are. Like mm-hmm. I'm just looking at this. We get thrown away. I mean. This is, and this was something I just talked about the other day that's still happening now. And I mm-hmm. talked about it today when I did the video on Black Men Are You Appreciated? I was talking about the ways in which, you know, even on Kevin's show, mm-hmm. I hear Black women that'll call in talking about the men they want. And Kevin will ask, you know, was your father at home? And some of those women will say, yes. Well, what was he like? Well, he's, you know, he worked and he took care of us and this, this and that. Well, do mm-hmm. you want a man like your father? No, he doesn't make enough. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, are you talking to your father about dating? No, uh-uh, not at all. But there's almost an obliviousness to the fact that he was present
3: mm-hmm.
0: as if they weren't. And and then nine times out of ten, if you dig deep enough, you find other men who stepped up to sacrifice and they are treated the same way. Don't get me started on stepfathering.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Really don't get me said we think fathers are ignored. Don't get me started on stepfathers.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: But, but so what I'm saying is the absence the, the the obliviousness the disappearance mm-hmm. of the father is not just happening historically it's still happening yes yeah, the man that is still there some of y'all got men who are paying bills to this day mm-hmm. and i'm talking men and women and you don't even know their names
3: mm-hmm. what their father's names
2: yeah the, the oh, only the, the only thing that uh black women did do is uh would actually give their children, no matter whether they're married or not married, would we actually give their children the father's name so they would have a genetic memory. And so they, they wouldn't run across uh, somebody that was related to them and had, actually have kids. So they would actually give um, so like my grandmother, she, you know, her, her first husband, I don't even know what her first husband's name was. His first name was, right? Um, but the thing is, is that she um, she, had, she, she had, you know, she married like three times and she had, you know, she had four sets of kids by four different men. And she would ask so you have a family that has four different last names but the thing is the only thing you know about these these men is the last names Absolutely most, ridiculous man. most most of my aunt uh, like I got like she has nine kids my aunts and my uncles cannot tell you anything about their fathers they, want, know, they don't they don't talk about them
0: it's one thing if your father abandoned you at birth or some mess that's mm-hmm. one thing. Yeah, but see, my thing is what I'm saying is you got men who are right there in the same households, toiling, mm-hmm. sacrificing and mm-hmm. have been doing so for generations and mm-hmm. they themselves are ignored.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I, that,
2: we're, we're, the thing is, is that and, and this is something that uh, Nameless said, black men are still as disposable as they were when uh in in fifteen nineteen when uh, they started bringing black slaves over to the new world. It's just a disposable we just disposable things to be used and, and and worked to death and tossed away.
0: That not only includes being providers, it also includes being killed I mean, in the streets. You need to be, your carcass co- is, is still of use of for use. everyone else's political advancement but your own.
2: what's your own and and, and, and seeding as concubine. So even the uh, even the the video that uh, Gigi did today, he was just describing uh, black men as sex toys and breeders, but they're concubine. So, so your conc- thats how come it rings out when you when you coin the term concu-surf because that is that is it literally what black men are actually worth: concubine on one end and surf on the other, and sometimes both.
4: You know, the, the the weirdest thing about all of this
2: mm-hmm.
4: is that black women have never lionized and deified Black men the way white women have done to their men. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, think about the holidays that are coming up and the ways in which white men are about to be deified and lionized Mm -hmm. and honored for independence. Think about Memorial Day and what it signifies and the reason for which it's here. Mm -hmm. All the veterans who fought to keep the country intact, There's no reverence for black men at all. And I I, I said this, I talked about the Daughters of Confederacy and how they erected all of those statues that all these people protesting about went down. Mm -hmm. White women erected those statues. They went out, they raised funds. They crowdfunded and got those those edifices and those statues uh, erected Mm -hmm. to men who lost. Yeah. And the reason that they did it is because they understood and venerated manhood. They knew that if we are to rebuild the South Mm -hmm. and to get it back in working order, we're going to have to have the honor of our men firmly put in place Mm -hmm. so that they can go about doing the work that men do, because Mm -hmm. we want that work to be done.
0: Yeah. But notice when that question comes up, you always get somebody like this person in the comment section. All Solutions Media, what have we done to be deified, right? And it's not about deified per se, but you always have this question, this, this underlying notion that Black men are inherently trifling. And no matter what sacrifices historically or contemporarily mm-hmm. are made, there's this immediate dismissal of that legacy simply yeah. by having this question posed, especially in the context of this discussion.
2: Yeah, you I just
0: know, framed it in terms of generations of fathers who've been sacrificing for their families and not being remembered. And the first question you ask is, "What the hell have we done?" You,
2: you know what? The, the thing is that you know I was been listening to uh, uh, Isabella Wilkinson's uh, latest book, uh, "Cast Right," and I just realized uh, in the history in the history of the world, there has never been a low caste that has actually risen to equality as fast as black men have. That's something that's never happened. In fact, that's how come uh, the black civil rights movement is venerated all over the world, because that's something that never happens. Where a small minority of people that are low caste and when former slaves could actually go from liberation to equality within 100 years, That's the the, the Dalits still haven't done it. They've been there for twenty five hundred years. Right. They've never they still haven't done it. That's how like when the dollars look, look, actually look up to us in admiration that we were able to actually do it. Now, the situation and the, and the, and the environment had to be right for us to do it. But the thing is, just that alone is something that we need to be deified. We're deified all over the world, except where? In our own household. Black men are deified all over the freaking world, except in our own household. Just what we've done over the last 60 years. If that's not enough, I don't know what to tell you.
4: And then not not only that, look, men fought in the American Revolution, black men did. Black men fought against the American Revolution on the British side. <laughs> black men fought in the Civil War, which arguably couldn't have been won without support from black troops. Okay, black men fought in World War One, World War II, the Korean War, Vietnam War, the, look. Black men have served this country. And black men have fought decisive battles that helped put America over the edge. And at the same time, we still don't get lionized for it. We don't get regarded with respect for it. All we get told is again, the trifling, you Negroes ain't nothing. You ain't done nothing. You know, the, the Tyrone argument from Erica Badu. Right. You know, uh, right. It, it's, t- it's time for that to be over with. It is. It's done, it's over with. And if that's the way you think, man, you know, hey, man, you ain't got no solutions. I'm just giving it 100. Like, you know, at the end of the day, black people have to to learn history and not the way it's taught in high school or college, because they teach history from a Eurocentric point of view. And unfortunately, now you can't learn anything from Toka Kana studies because it's, you know, I hate to say it, these these Africana and African-American studies programs are all intersectional. And all they do is talk about flat blackness and how women are rendered invisible and how they need to be brought to the forefront. That's where we are now. You got to go and read the books and talk and look about black men in service. You know, like the Buffalo Soldiers, you know, uh, Colonel you know, Char- Charles Young mm-hmm. and, and the advancements he made and how he was treated in West Point. And, you know uh, how he came out and, you know, the, what revolutionary strides he made you know, let's talk about, you know, the Tuskegee Airmen, you know, like, let's talk about what we've done. Mm
3: -hmm.
4: It's about, it's about black men being venerated for the service that they provided, not only for the country, but for the women and their families.
0: Here's Mm -hmm. where, here's where the chivalrous training comes in. Whenever you see, especially in the academy, the academy, Mm -hmm. black men begin to talk about themselves. The first thing they do is talk about the women or push for the need to balance it now it's already off balance Mm -hmm. you already have thousand twenty over twenty thousand fewer black male academicians than you do female from students to faculty to staff you have lower numbers of black men than black women across the board but when black men are like you look at a panel at a conference where it's dealing with black men black men will be the first to give ground Mm -hmm. to talk about women go to a woman's panel and listen to whether or not they bring up black men in any other context outside of being oppressive or abusive. Mm-hmm. But, but so my only point is when, you know, when we do what, G, what Gigi is suggesting, the problem is the way we've been acculturated mm-hmm. distillery, we don't know how to conceptualize a space where we purposefully talk about black men and boys without apology. And it's not in an effort to erase hell the majority of the academics, as I pointed out, are women. We're not erasing
4: anything. That's because man, reality. I don't mean to interrupt you, bro. I'm just yeah, gonna keep it 100, man. The academic environment is like a plantation, bro. Mm. I'm just gonna mm. keep it 100, man. It mm. is what it is. It's like a record company, mm. you know. And wow. you're looking for a hit. You know, it's <laughs> wow. just what it is, bro. I'm telling you, man. Like you, you record albums. Like you got to get signed.
2: <laughs> to a record label,
4: you got to get signed on to and, a damn uh uh department, right? And You got, you and got
2: sleep. Is there a casting couch for the academy?
4: Oh, hell yeah! <laughs> you didn't think there was a casting couch for the academy?
2: No, I didn't it's think it's the so most
4: bad, dude. Like, you would never go through an interview to get hired in an academic institution like anywhere else in the world. No, a Google, I get it's like, like FBI, bro. <laughs> Real talk. You 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 think I'm lying to you, man? You gotta talk to everybody, you gotta talk to the students, you gotta talk to the faculty, you gotta talk to the dean, the provost. Uh, then you gotta, you know, do a presentation, then you gotta go on like interviews all day long, you know, and then you gotta do, you know, uh, presentations to be cool. They gotta like you, but at the same time be impressed with the intellectual acumen. You gotta push back, but you can't push back too hard. It's it's an environment where everything is tense, and you got it's it's worse than corporate America.
0: I've been on three day interviews. I've been on three day interviews. He's right. That's definitely no joke.
4: I mean, and it's from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed, and then they'll hold you. They got you got to go to dinner. You know, so so they want to see you in all of these different environments and how you handle yourself and how you're able to, you know, fit in with the department because it's like they're really actually hiring a family member. They're making you part of their mm, pack. Okay. 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 It, it just is what it is. Okay. Uh but- and, and, and oftentimes, you know. Uh, They're hiring you because it's a token slot if you're black anyway.
0: But look, this is the same thing that happens with publishing as well. This is why it's difficult. And that's why even the way black men have taken to YouTube and social media in general is somewhat of an anomaly because we're barred from so many other spaces. Try to get a piece published today. I don't care if you are talking about a journal or a book uh, going to a press and especially a university press. And try and get some work published that explicitly focuses on black males without conceding, uh, conceding space to black women, without, without catering to them or the feminist argument. And watch how quickly. Look, I'll be the first one to tell you, I love my brother's work, Tommy Curry. But I'm going to tell you, the man not was not supposed to be. Pub- you know why that book was published? They didn't fucking understand what he was talking about. I've had conversations with Tommy and we laughed about it. They didn't understand what he was actually saying until that book was in press. If he wrote that in a common tongue, it probably wouldn't have gotten
4: published. Yeah. I mean, you know, he, he refers to a lot of arcane literature, but I mean, you know, in in philosophical concepts and uh, you know, but one of the things that I noticed, man, is that, you know, people don't like his tone. Like, people talk about Tommy Curry and they talk about his tone and his unapologetic statement of what he considers to be facts about race and gender. And and look, bro, man, the same people who argued that they don't want to be tone policed, tone police black men. That's an issue, man. At, at some point, man, and it's all about preserving the feelings of black women. And look, we're at the point past the accommodation of feelings. We're like, If you're equal, you don't want to be pedestalized, you want social and, 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 and political equity, you got to take this criticism. You want to critique, but you don't want to be critiqued. Right? This is done, man. It's over with. It can't be sustained. And, look, you got black men in the academy who know full well what the hell is going on. They'll talk to you behind a closed door. Closed door. And they'll have conversations with you about what's going on and how overbearing the whole politicization of uh, gender relations between men and women are in the academy. They'll come lament to you behind closed doors, but they won't say something out in the open. Because they're afraid, especially if they haven't made tenure. I would suggest that they don't say anything at all. Wait till you get tenure. <laughs> you know, yeah, seriously, I mean, you know, wait till you get tenure and then say some things. You know, I mean, you could talk to your colleagues if, if they like you. Uh, but if they don't like you, don't say anything, man. Just do do what you got to do until you make the tenure and then start talking about that stuff. But it's so many pitfalls and traps and quagmires out there for you as a black male scholar, man. It's hard to navigate those waters. And oftentimes you'll be one of only may, maybe three or four at the institution anyway. The whole institution.
0: Well, what I would also tell grad students as well or, you know, people trying to go into the academy, brothers in particular, um, make sure when you finally are ready to speak up that you are content where you are, because I don't care if it's a, a Facebook post, YouTube video, whatever, uh, the work you do in terms of black male studies and, and and it and and it's not about being derogatory. You 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 can do it, you know, and and be completely, you know, speaking in the proper framework with the proper tone, as you say and it's still you know going to be brought up in a hiring committee under the table and used against you so just make sure that you are strategically in a in a, in a place you can function at um um oh look our boy tommy's curry in here
4: yeah, you see curry up in his joint what's yeah. up
2: Tom? oh yeah oh yeah he's always around he's in, he's in the clouds boy he's like the uh he's like Thanos.
0: <laughs> to my radio listeners he said actually the first editor thought it would fail she didn't think it would sell 350 copies
4: in the first year she refused to read it <laughs> that's crazy yeah how can your editor not read your book <laughs> Man, it, or not even take it seriously you know this this is how you know man it's an uphill battle okay It, it just mm-hmm. is what it is it's It's an uphill battle in in the academy, but thank you, you know, Dr. Curry, for your service, your work, and your courage you know uh it just is what it is, man you know um and 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 Dr Curry's been saying this from the beginning. I've heard people talk about you know how you know how he speaks and how he's unabashed, and you know he doesn't preserve feelings i'm like how how are you saying these things but you're you're actually publishing articles about tone policing yourselves or not wanting to be tone police, but then you want to tone police other scholars who have alternative viewpoints. And this is not indicative of collegiality or the kind of activity that's actually supposed to be taking place within the context of the academy to begin with.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: It's anti-erudite. It, it, it is.
0: And part of the interesting thing you'll notice is whether you're talking about social media or you're talking about black male studies, both mm-hmm. movements are spurred on by empirical data. Mm-hmm. That's the interesting thing. So you're not talking about black men and black male studies who are just proposing and espousing alternative opinions. They're proffering ideas predicated on accurate historical accounts mm-hmm. or data, which mm-hmm. is a very different thing. But it's treated the same way, as if it's just you know a countering opinion to say whatever you know feminist rhetoric has been put. No, these are brothers that are actually prioritizing accuracy.
2: Mm-hmm. Because uh, the thing is, Doc, and this, this is bothering me, right? The people that that uh, question uh, your information or question my information never give a source, right? But the, well, they want me to give up multiple sources, multiple documents. But the thing is, when I ask them for sources, they, they don't have to have it, which is bothering me.
4: Yeah, and, and, and look, I wouldn't be bothered by it, man, you know, uh, <laughs> but but I think that Curry brings this out more than anybody else, man. Right. He's been saying this from the beginning. Philosophy is where people talk and they talk enough about something and then everybody comes to accept and adopt it as the truth mm-hmm. when it has no bearing on reality at all. That And that's mm-hmm. the major flaw of philosophy, okay? Uh, but... Black male studies has to be empirically based. It has mm-hmm. to be because mm-hmm. we're dealing with the real lives and, and the phenomenal experiences of black men, which mm-hmm. are always put to the side. They're cast away. Not important, not relevant. Right. Man, I, you know, all I can say is it hurts being a black man and we got to start admitting that. But a lot of us won't do it. You know, we want to alpha our way through this. And, you know, yeah. feel like we're the big man. Or, or I'm a big man. and I can overcome these hurdles. Bro, there are systems in place, man, designed to destroy us, to relegate us to death or social Mm -hmm. death, to take us out of civil society.
0: And they've had plenty of practice. Mm -hmm. This is not new. This is not new. But I want to thank y'all for coming up, for for talking with me about this today. I appreciate it. Um, What we're going to do, we're going to go ahead and and transition out. And y'all know uh, we are going to also have office hours. So to my members uh, give me a few minutes. Look to the community tab on my YouTube page and you can go ahead from there and uh, come into the link. If You're on Patreon. I'm going to send the link there. Um, let me see. Uh, close this thing up. But again, thank you, brothers, for coming up. I appreciate both of you. Check out BGS Ibmore. more. Also check out. Uh, Was it a black black pill? Gnostic. Uh, yes. Definitely check out the Green Gorillas uh, channel as well. Make sure, sure you all support. Uh, both channels and if you haven't by now you should have been picked up a long time ago uh, appreciate that Reynolds you should have picked up Tommy Curry's the man not if you haven't
2: yeah, that, that um, is a, that, that is a Manosphere Bible right? no no manosphere person can call himself a man or part of the manuscript without having the man not in his library
0: well and that and then, so please make Indeed. sure you you do that you should have long since done it if you haven't by now support the brother's work uh also support Dr. William Smith. Uh, out of utah uh you know look into his work if you're not familiar if you are you already know uh support his work brother's tremendous and i want to appreciate that uh, appreciate him uh, for being who he is right so uh here let me go ahead pull this up um anything you want to say before we close i was
2: gonna do does uh does dr smith have any contact information that he can actually share with us i don't
0: know but okay if he put in the comments whatever you're comfortable with, Doc. Um, we understand the game. We understand what it is. If you can,
3: mm-hmm. all
2: good. yeah. Um,
0: but any closing thoughts, fellas? Anybody? Anything anyone wants to say?
2: All I can say is, uh, you know, like, like like I said, I just put out a video talking about this space and this kind of information is really cultural psychotherapy for for black people especially for black men, because without understanding how this stuff got started and the mechanism of how this stuff came about and the, and the patterns that we still see existing today, if we don't understand this, we'll never get this fixed. We have to, we have to go in and actually culturally dig this stuff out and dismantle this stuff so we can actually understand and put it back together. If not, we we'll never get out of this.
4: Yeah. Brother Gigi, any thoughts? Man, all I can do is say uh, ditto to the to the black Gnostic, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, these spaces, they're necessary. Uh, A lot of us are, uh, you know, a lot of black men in the manosphere are uh, autodidacts. Uh, They're digging through the crates, uh, the books to learn things for themselves. They're eager to understand and to know. Uh, Keep digging, keep understanding, keep keep figuring things out and uh, keep speaking. Keep talking because people will try to silence you and tell you don't don't say what you're saying because you're, you're making us look bad or you're making women feel bad. Or, so what? Keep saying what you have to say, because you have the right just as much as any other organism, living being who considers themselves to be a human being, to be expressive. Right. That's right. So. Right. So, so uh, keep expressing.
0: All right. Much appreciation to both of y'all. Uh, y'all know how we do this. Uh, I'm going to pull you brothers down. Thank you. I will talk to y'all in a minute. Yes, sir. Let's see here. All right. So, you know, you know y'all know, you know how we do it. Brothers, be reminded that we are not criminals by birth, perennial rapists, incapable intellects, man children, sperm donors, child support, wellsprings, success objects, walking phalluses, ATM machines, lottery tickets, brainless henchmen valueless assassins, pro bono mercenaries, unpaid bodyguards, interchangeable stepfathers, child discipline proxies, unpaid repairmen, workhorses, emotional tampons, or any other socially accepted dehumanizing stereotype. We are thinkers, inventors, innovators, leaders, fathers, warriors, and men. Embrace your humanity, know your worth, and extend your time, attention, and resources only to those who genuinely respect you. And remember, Your worth is not defined by meeting other people's narcissistic, selfish, and unrealistic needs. You define your worth. Peace.
3: (音楽) Oh